golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> Who's weirder, you or me? You just put the law in my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. <laughs> Hey everyone, and welcome back to Movies for Life. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Brian Kuyper. And I'm your other co-host, Michelle Agan. And today we've got something big and daunting and... Yeah. Uh, how do we approach this? No idea. You know, that one of those episodes. But hey, we've done it before. We did Goodfellas. Uh, we did all of our forever favorites. Uh, so hey, here we are um, talking about... Something longer, more dense, I think, than just about anything else we've ever talked about. Yep. We are covering just one thing today, though it is really seven, <laughs> and that is uh, Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass uh, from Netflix uh, from 2021. So, so yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. There's, there, a there's a lot to deal with. Um, so, how many times have you watched through Midnight Mass at this point? Um, two and a half times i would Two say because <laughs> i watched it the first time i was kind of sick when uh, it first kind of premiered and i watched it I watched it again for this and then like just in preparing i've been watching like random episodes and scenes so well, that's kind of how i did it okay okay fair enough so i i've this was my third full watch through mm-hmm. i watched it initially then i ended up writing a piece on it for manor vellum so I watched it again for that, but then um, watching it this third time, I got to say, it was even more rewarding with each viewing for me. It was for me too. Yeah, each time, each time I watched it, I just kind of realized how intricately woven of a tapestry it is. That was really pretentious sounding, <laughs> it's but okay. it is an intricately <laughs> woven is. film. You know, it's, it's got a lot going on in it, right? So, do um, we want to talk about like why we chose this in particular to cover? Sure. Why did we choose this, <laughs> Michelle? <laughs> I don't really know. It was something we both just kind of agreed on that we both got a lot out of. And I think for me in particular, I really wanted to talk about it because I think like I said before, like this is the religious thing is kind of a big difference between the two of us. And we've never and it's come up a couple of times on stuff we've talked about before, but we've never really been able to get into our thoughts on that. And I think that Midnight Mass is a great example of really like all different aspects and um, sides of it he really brings a lot into it with through the, all of the characters it's a good jumping off yeah. point for those conversations yeah i think so too and you know there's a lot to discuss from you know i think from multiple viewpoints mm-hmm. in this piece it's hard for me not to call it a movie <laughs> I, I just think of it as one seven hour film in a lot of all ways. of these limited series kind of feel like that to me anyway you know they all just kind yeah. of feel like it's just really one long movie. So that's fine. 
if you call it a movie. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, if I, I'll probably flip back and forth between calling it a series and calling it a movie. Yeah. Um, now, there, the way how you approach something this big is part of the challenge, though. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna we've got a couple of things that we want to do. For I put out a little call on Twitter to say, hey, if you have any questions for us, we'd love to hear them. So I got a couple. I got not a ton, but I think some of them we can answer like right off the top and just kind of say, because they're (laughs) sort of fun. Okay. So I want to start with with one. Okay. This is from Mike Snoonian, host of Pod and the Pendulum (laughs) and a good friend of ours. Hi, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Mike. We're going to have you on to talk about Rocky. Don't worry. You're going (laughs) to... Yeah, totally. We will. <laughs> we, we've already sort of uh, hinted at that. So we're, we're, we're going to do that. But he asked, is this the best Salem's Lot adaptation we'll ever see? Uh, to which I say, yes, yes, it is. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I know that actually the Toby Hooper one, I'm a big fan of, though, too. And I know Mike is as well. I haven't watched um, it in a really long time. I need to, I need to. It holds up pretty well. I got to say, I'm pretty impressed by how well that one goes. I haven't watched that one with Rob Lowe in a while. Um, I'm not going to. I (laughs) thought about it, but then I decided, nah, I'm good. But then they do have a new version of Salem's Lot coming out. Right. Uh, that's being made. Yeah. It's in production, so or in pre-production at least right now. You didn't even get the Salem's Lot reference until I told you about I, it like I, an I, hour I ago. Missed it. You had to tell me about it. I was like, oh, duh, of course. That's a great reference. Yeah. We'll talk about that when we get there. But then uh, one of the things is, okay, so J.D. Gravatt from a previous episode, our episode on Pan's Labyrinth, asked a few good questions, yeah. some of which we'll hit right now and some we're going to save, okay? So, okay, I think one of the things that probably could carry us into our bulk of our discussion is who was your favorite character and why? Because we kind of want to take... Because, okay, the the characters is how we kind of talked about approaching this. Because taking this through the plot is just kind of... That's impossible. That's just kind of a kind of a dull way to do it, too, mm-hmm. I think. Because, I mean, yeah, it's it's the plot is interesting. I think it's a well-crafted plot, and it brings up some interesting things. But it's really the character interactions that make this special. Yeah, and I who think. these people represent. Or what they represent. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think um, maybe jumping off with that question into the bulk of our discussion might be a good way to go. And then we can sort of interweave uh, some other thoughts from folks in uh, in through this as we go. Well, now I'm not sure what my answer to that is because <laughs> we were talking okay. before this and I'm not... I told JD, like I texted him that my favorite character was uh, Joe, Joe Colley, because... Mm. Pretty much because I always appreciate and admire a, a self-aware character. Yeah. But then also um, just kind of thinking about her more and talking about her more with you. I, Annie, Annie Flynn is probably mm-hmm. my other favorite. I don't know who for I me, like more. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, for me, Annie Flynn is the character I would most like to be like. Yeah. So I, one of the things we wanted to talk about is sort of our you know history or personal connection with or without religion or religious faith or anything. And for me, Annie is that person that is a person of faith who is sort of like what a person of faith should be. Yeah, that's how I see you it know, too. Someone, yeah, someone who is faithful and devoted to God, to Jesus, to her church family, the, the church body she's connected with, but 
has deep compassion yes. and care and respect for people. And is not judgmental. Um, and is not judgmental. And she's less judgmental than probably any yes. other person in this whole piece, so. including the good guys, you know, including mm-hmm. someone like Aaron, I think. Aaron has a few streaks of of it that run through her that I'm not sure she's entirely aware of. You know, I think most people are. Yeah. Most people have those things. But Annie is just sort of like a, I, uh, Ed, her husband, calls her a saint mm-hmm. at one point. And I think he's actually probably right. Yeah. You know. And also, I got to say, Annie is probably the person that uh, reminds me most in the show of my uh, dear wife, my sainted wife, um, <laughs> Jennifer. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think I, Annie, Annie is the character that I most want to be like. But I think the one that I think compels me the most, uh, that maybe I connect with the most in unexpected ways, is Riley. Riley is a character that I think is so fascinating and interesting. And, you know, I, I've known these people, you know, I, I recognize these people in my life that are like Riley and, and, and I see certain aspects of Riley and myself as well. That's kind of the, I guess the <laughs> pat answers to those questions now, I think, but we talked about covering characters. There were, there were six, six. characters yeah. that we especially thought we wanted to talk about. They were Joe Colley, Riley Flynn, Aaron Green, uh, Beverly Keen. <laughs> Got to talk about Beverly well, Keen. Uh, Sheriff Hassan and uh Pruitt. we'll call him I'm, i call him Pruitt in my notes okay <laughs> we can call him that from the okay so you can call him father paul hill yeah or you can call him monsignor john Pruitt. and hopefully you've watched the show and we didn't just spoil that for you oh yeah this but entire also, thing is gonna be just i, I have a feeling we're gonna be jumping all around the place yeah, in terms of the plot so if you haven't watched yeah. any of midnight mass uh, don't listen. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, to be honest with you, I've I've actually wrote, written down several notes on Sarah and Millie. They kind of relate separate, and, though. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So like literally. Right. <laughs> 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 I didn't think about that. But yeah, like yeah. those are kind of the main um, characters yeah. that represent something important to us, I would say. And then everybody else. I mean, oh, obviously, there's other mm-hmm. really important people. Lisa. Yeah. And Lisa, Millie and Sarah. Yeah, huge. They all they relate to other people. So we'll get to all Annie, we'll get to all course, of them. Yeah. 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 Warren, Sturge, yeah. Uker. Uker. I mean, you could just go on and on. Uker <laughs> is not that big of a character, but he, I lo- I kind of like Uker. I do too. There, this is this is okay, so the comparison I think to Salem's Lot is actually really apt because this is a Stephen King style no, totally. story. Yeah, this is a small town, isolated, colorful cast of characters movie. And, you know, you've got all sorts of interesting people from all sorts of different they're not necessarily from all sorts of different backgrounds, though a few of them are. But most of them have kind of lived in this one place their whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, some have wandered off and come back. Some sought this place out uh, mm-hmm. as a some sought it out as a retreat or an escape. Yeah, it's just uh, it's a place where a lot of people have landed, yeah. and some of them are stuck there, and some of them are happy to be there, and it, it's it's just a interesting 
little world that's created here, uh, which is, of course, Crockett Island, yeah. uh, which somewhere off the coast of New York is the what as I take it. I'm assuming so, because they always talk about going to the city, New yeah. York City, the mainland. And, and Mike Flanagan's um, background with where this story kind of came from, like he he did live on an, a little island that's now abandoned. He said that was off the coast of New York. So I have a feeling it was very much based off of that. I would imagine so. You know, and as we look at some of these characters, I think um, maybe the starting place of the whole thing is actually Riley. Oh, yeah. He's kind of the main character, even though he doesn't make it all the way through. <laughs> it's it's a little interesting. It's, yeah. There's a little bit of a Janet Lee element <laughs> kind of, yeah. to, to his character, you know, because uh, he is the one who's introduced to the beginning, um, played by Zach Guilford, uh, who well, I before, think did is... we want to do our, our backgrounds first? Oh, of course. I'm sorry. While I'm finding this, can you, would you mind? Would you, how do you feel about going first on that? Oh, one? that's fine. Because mine would be very okay. short. Cause we just wanted that's to fine. kind of uh, explain a little bit of our backgrounds uh, with religion, or in my case, not really much of a background. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, I was, I guess, raised Lutheran in the Lutheran church when I was really young, we did go to church. Uh, I remember going to Sunday school, very creepy uh, basement room of the church. I remember that. (laughs) But um, we, I don't think anybody in our family, we weren't really as, as into it. Um, we, we went, I think, because we felt like we had to. And I believe that the, how the story goes, uh, the reason why we stopped going when I was in maybe second or third grade, I think it was something that like either the Sunday school teacher or the the pastor or the priest, I don't know what it's called. <laughs> it would be pastor. pastor. Okay. I don't even know what that's called. It was like, I think it was something that they said about our family about how just like uh, chastising us for not going to church enough. And so my parents' uh, reaction to that was, oh, really? Well, guess what? Okay, now, now we're not going to yeah. go at all. And we were done after that pretty much. Like, like I said, we weren't really too devout or you know believers in the first place so it wasn't really a big loss for any of us we were just we just kind of quit going after that and just um the only time i ever saw church was funerals or weddings after that yeah um well (laughs) yours is very different i know but (laughs) with our family yeah it was um actually maybe not as different as you'd think uh (laughs) honestly my dad was raised uh in sort of a traditional church and growing up and so they decided when they got married, you know, they were going to, and the kids came along that they were going to go ahead and try going back to church, you know. And so, and, you know, my brother came along like right away after they were married. I mean, he's probably a wedding night baby kind of thing, you know. Um, but uh, it was just the situation where they just wanted to have that community and stuff. Uh, so we actually they found a church pretty quickly and um, it was also a Lutheran church out in the area. It's actually the church that my wife and I go to now. So we, we did the whole Sunday school thing, you know, and I got to say it wasn't really, it was something that we just kind of did every week. I, I don't know how it was, how that it was necessarily like, uh, the, I guess my dad volunteered for some things and you know, they did some, they did some, they helped teach Sunday school and stuff. My mom did too. 
But then when I started, when I was about 15, I started playing guitar in, because it's a contemporary worship tr- service. It, it wasn't like organs and vestments and all the traditional things so much. It was, uh, I mean, I knew what those things were, but it wasn't like a big deal. So our church, you know, led, we went to the contemporary service is what I'm trying to say. Uh, so the, as far as the music goes and stuff was, you know, guitars and drums and piano and that sort of things. It was... It was fun. I remember I used to want to sit in the front row every time because I wanted to watch the people playing guitar. And that's actually why I started playing guitar was because some of those musicians were pretty good. You know, Um, uh, I started playing with the group myself uh, when I was in high school. And then I had kind of a moment with God, I guess you could say, um, where it a lot of it just sort of became real to me personally. And so I became pretty serious about it, which, you know, my parents kind of did too as well. You know, not in a freaky way, not in a <laughs> Wes Craven's upbringing kind of way. <laughs> but, you know, we were serious about it and we wanted to learn and know more and all that. And so then I went to college to be a music education major, to be a teacher. But it was really with the idea that I was going to become a music director in a church, and which I did for about 10 years. Uh, and then it was just like, it just got to a point where it was like, this is not me and this is not something that I can do anymore. And so I left that and I actually did become a music teacher. But uh, since then, you know, we still have, and we've taken our kids to church most of their life and everything as well. Though during the pandemic, that changed a lot because our church went to online and it just became difficult to sustain that honestly Mm -hmm. now that things are kind of opening up we're talking about going back but i mean a lot has changed in the past two years and we are just in a a different place Uh, our kids have a different kind of you know they're with the ages they are are struggling a little bit with some of these ideas which is perfectly fine and frankly, the behavior of the of way too many people who call themselves Christians during this pandemic has been so disturbing that it makes me not want to even say that I am a Christian. So there we go. Uh, you'll probably hear a little bit more of that yeah. when we talk about Beverly in this episode. <laughs> God. Um, yeah. So I, I've tried it. So, I mean, I, I would say that I am a person of faith. I am a believer in Jesus and in God. (laughs) I think the church as a whole has, in large part, not as a whole. I think many of the most visible and vocal elements of the church have strayed far from the core teachings of Christianity and of Jesus, and it really, really disturbs me. So that's where I'm at right this second. Um, And hey, (laughs) If you want to read more about that, uh, now Michelle has read the article because she got a uh, preview. Got an advanced screener copy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She's seen my article that I wrote on Midnight Midnight Mass for uh, Manor Vellum, which uh, I I don't know if that's going to be coming out before or after this episode lands. Um, But if you're interested in that, you know, keep an eye out, and I will probably be pinning it to my. Twitter profile, so you can hear more of that it's if you very want. Very good. You should um, read it. Good job, Brian. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that uh, 
I'm that was a long, <laughs> long way of of laying it all out there, right. but probably shorter than the actual story is. So, but in for the sake of brevity, let's keep it at that. How's that? Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I texted you the other night too, like because I was trying to figure out exactly what I should call myself because that's what I've kind of been wondering for a long time. I was like, am I agnostic? Am I an atheist? I don't think I'm an atheist entirely but I've, I've read this before i've seen this before and i think it kind of describes me pretty well as um apathetic agnosticism <laughs> which sounds kind of bad but um well i mean what when you texted that to me <laughs> i i thought i thought so don't know don't care right <laughs> and i was like which is like that's fine <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You know, but what your what you sent me was a little bit more nuanced. So I, I thought that was well. What I yeah. found online was like this. I read this one sentence, and I was like, "Yeah, that pretty much describes how I feel." Is uh, it's the view that no amount of debate can prove or disprove the existence of one or more deities, and if one or more deities exist, they do not appear to be concerned to be concerned about the fate of humans. I was like, that, yeah, that's pretty much how mm-hmm. I think. It's not, I don't think it's a don't care thing. I, I think I care. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the, the, the last <laughs> sentence in, in, yeah. in that little blurb kind of says that though. Yeah, it, um, it goes on. Yeah, it goes on to say, yeah. therefore their existence has little to no impact on personal human affairs, which like in the sense of like actually affecting what humans do, I think. I don't know that I really believe that because it, they have an impact um, like internally on what people, you know, believe and how they choose to live their life. So I'm not sure that I really go with that part. Okay. <laughs> it's like an apathetic agnostic would say, I don't know whether any deity exists or not. And I don't care if any deity exists or not. I don't I don't know if I don't care. It's just uh-huh. it hasn't really affected my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. I, and I don't yeah. I don't have any kind of bad feelings towards people that do believe you know like i don't you know i don't think oh, I, know. I don't think anybody is uh like aaron's uh, asked riley in the show like if you you know do you think i'm you know uh, what did she say like i'm naive naive or, or something like i don't believe that yeah. at all because that's really mean like why would you <laughs> fooling myself yeah you know, i i don't things, i don't yeah. think that at all i just um i'm I'm jealous of, of in certain ways of people that that do have that belief. I just I can't see myself ever having that kind of belief, you know, because mm-hmm. I I wasn't I wasn't raised with it. I barely remember anything from like, you know, Sunday school or <laughs> church or whatever. And when I have encountered church or people, you know, talking about religion, talking about God, it makes me uncomfortable because mm-hmm. I don't know, that's just the whole thing it makes me uncomfortable because um, I, I don't have the ability, I, that, that concept of having that kind of belief is so foreign to me that it's like, it makes me uncomfortable and I don't know <laughs> how to think about it, you know. But I don't think anybody is like silly or naive or gullible for believing it all. No, that's, I understand why they have that belief and that's fine with that. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Yeah. Totally. You know, <laughs> so yeah, I don't ever, and, you know, I don't ever want to sound like in this episode, I don't ever want to sound like I think anybody is dumb <laughs> or anything for her. just right. because, just because I've said that I'm an apathetic agnostic, <laughs> you know, I don't, right. I don't you know, think that at all. I, and I, I was having this conversation with uh, my counselor earlier today where I said, I think, the issue is when we get to the extremes on either side. I mean, yeah. we're we're both somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Here. You know, you have the people on one side of the, you have your Beverly's 
and you know you're how can you possibly not believe people right on one end and then you have on the other end you have the people you are so stupid to believe in anything yeah you know i mean and that that negates conversation from being able to happen and i think that's unfortunate you know and i don't think i mean honestly on on the quote-unquote believing side which i i struggle to even say that's real true belief <laughs> that that sort of that rigidity i think that they're shutting down conversation which is something that jesus never did mm-hmm. no matter who he was around i mean he you know people that were like the religious authorities were the only people that he was like shut up you know i mean these those were the people that if it's the beverly Keens of the world that he was calling you know you brood of vipers you hypocrites you whitewashed tombs you know beautiful on the outside apparently but filled with dead bones and unclean things <laughs> those are the people that jesus couldn't stand huh. it was okay. the quote unquote the the words that they used that the people that were trying to deride him were using were the tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> you know, those are the people. I mean, who are the tax collectors and sinners today, according to the church? I mean, it doesn't. You don't have to think too hard to know who who gets that label today by the church, unfortunately. And Jesus would be spending the time with people like Joe Colley yes. and Riley Flynn and Aaron Green, mm-hmm. and I think he would really dig Annie. And Ed, God, yeah, but he would be condemning Beverly King. I would hope so. Yeah, there, <laughs> right? there's no question that that's exactly what he would be doing. Well, it's kind of like so, what Pruitt says when to Riley when he says, "I noticed you, you know, sat back for communion today." Mm-hmm. He said he's not. I'm not he, exactly in a state. Yeah, of grace, he's not yeah. in a state of grace and. He's like, well, good. I don't really have much use for people that are in a state of grace. Like the people that... I love that line. Yeah. The people that... What does he say? <laughs> I can't say it. I can't remember exactly. He says the people he, that he that says, Jesus would more want to speak with are the people yeah. that aren't in a state of grace. People that... That's the people that he would seek out and want to talk to. Yeah. I wrote I wrote actually that... I wrote that down. I mean, I'm going to be flipping pages a I lot. Know, me too. I know. Me sort of put it by characters. But he just says, I'm not much used to people who are in a state yeah, of grace. Yeah. Not much used to people. That's right. And then he said, and Jesus didn't either. That's one of the things that I like about Pruitt in the beginning of this when mm-hmm. before, you know, things go badly, before he sort of hear the angel, the voice of the angel and Beverly Keene sort of overwhelm yeah. his goodness, you know. Fortunately, he gets it back. It's beautiful when yeah. he does sort of repent. Um, it's feels so heartbreaking, but it's. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> I feel like just, we're talking about Paul now. That's fine. Uh, or Pruitt now. That's fine. Yeah, because in the beginning, he he would be the kind of, uh, what do we call him? A pastor or a preacher? I don't know. Is there he's a right, a, is there he's a right a priest. word? Uh, he's a priest because okay. he's a he's Catholic. Um, okay. So I'm not, I am not I, Catholic and I've never have been Catholic, but I, I've studied, you know, quite a bit of the various... You know, the differences between denominations and, you know, Roman Catholicism and Protestantism and then sort of the factions within them all and, and then world religions and things. I've I know something about them, but obviously I don't know them completely because I haven't been <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> these other. I mean, I have been a Lutheran, a Baptist technically for about six months and a Presbyterian. So 
<laughs> I've, I've worked in all those places. I so, don't really know the difference between yeah. any of those. I don't know and anything. So is, if I get something wrong, I'm sorry. Not, it's not that much. It's a few. Okay. It's a few unimportant things, in my opinion. That are the differences but, between them. Okay. Yeah. It's it's just not as important as people when we were splitting into all these groups that then people uh, thought they were. So. But anyway, so he's a priest. He would be the kind in the beginning parts of um, the show. Pruitt is the kind of priest that I would be more comfortable approaching like if I had any yes. questions because he is kind of like Annie in that he doesn't really seem all that judgmental. Right. And he's very and he seems more like the, the younger like more progressive like modern type of priest that I would I would be able to talk to a little bit easier because I love that conversation that he and Riley have um, at the crockpot luck about yes. um, him starting AA with him. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, so he's not he's not judging. And he's like, oh, I figured you have to you have to have these meetings, you know, for your parole and everything. So he's not judging him for having gone to jail or being an alcoholic or anything like that, you know, no. and like calling him a bad person. He just sees him as somebody who needs help, and he has he has a way that he can offer that help, and so. Yeah, so that's why it kind of sucks. You like him so much. And then when he turns into that other, like, uh, sometimes when he's giving his sermons, like, later on in the show, I'm I'm like, that's the kind of one I don't like. That's what really kind of scares me, <laughs> honestly. The Good Friday... <laughs> The yes. Good Friday sermon that he gives is frightening. The one, ab- and the to, one about the on, war? The one about war. Yeah. Um, Millie just... And she knows it. She's like, that is not the man I knew. Mm-hmm. That is not my church. I don't want you going back there. Because she has seen that the man that she fell in love with mm-hmm. and had a child with. What? <gasps> I know. Is not the man that stood before her now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it's all very... Uh, it's a tragedy. You know, the thing is, um, his is a road that starts out it paved with such good intentions, oh, yeah. you know, uh, as they say, the road to hell yep. <laughs> is paved with good intentions. His confession at the end to Millie, when he says, you know, I brought that thing here, the, the quote unquote angel here to heal this place and restore the youth of everybody. It's like, no, it was you. It was always about you. I didn't want you to die. I was afraid that you were going to die. Yep. <laughs> and it's just, it was a personal and and it's, and it's, I was afraid you were going to die. You know, I wanted to, I saw this chance for us to start over. It was very much an I thing. There's a little bit of selfishness oh, in yeah. the whole thing. It's like a chance to start again. I mean, your husband's gone so we can, and we're young again, so we can have this life that they didn't get to have, have the first time. before. Yeah. yeah. But then you also think like, okay, you obviously didn't think this through a whole lot. What you were actually doing, didn't think about the, the consequences of what you were doing. He only saw the good parts of what mm-hmm. this angel supposedly brought to him and obviously not the bad the bad parts which is well, i mean he couldn't uh, that's just so crazy to me that he like couldn't he could overlook that like that you people would have to die so that he could be young and live and he and millie could be together again well that's where the, I, I get that's brings... where the selfish part comes from like he was he's not thinking of that he just wants 
her back, but that's some pretty well, he, steep consequences. <laughs> he doesn't know about those consequences really, though, until halfway through the series, pretty much, right? When he, you know, he suffers some sort of cerebral hemorrhage or something uh. like that, and he dies, and he comes back, and all of a sudden he's his <laughs> he's well, he's a vampire. Yes, I mean it, it, he's. They don't say that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they never say vampire, but it's a, va- it's what it's it a vampire. You know, it's a vampire. I mean, he can't go out in daylight anymore. He, um, but he dr- knows, has to drink blood. But he knows that it's all about blood. He's been feeding off of the blood of the angel. That's why he gets so sick. Yeah. yeah. So he knows it's about blood. So he's got, he's a smart guy. You know, it's like he should have mm-hmm. known that like blood was going to be a, a part of it, that people would probably have to die so that others could have this new yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, <laughs> there's no doubt. Um, you know. but it's, Oh, man. And I think <laughs> Father Paul is one of those, or Monsignor Pruitt is, I'm just a tragic figure. He kind of is. Ultimately. Yeah. I kind of um, like him and hate him at the same time. There's much of this where I think he's wonderful, mm. where I think this is, he is sort of the exemplar of what, again, what a believing person should be mm-hmm. uh, in those early sections. and then And then in his repentance at the end. You know, I think that is, that's really interesting because, you know, he, um, it's that middle section that is just like, he allows himself, he, he lets his own feelings and this voice of this demon, let's face it, that is clearly not an angel. You know, there is, it is, what it is telling him is not anything that he would have learned through his, it, all it, it's doing, it's like, okay, I'm going to take this idea, and just like Beverly does, and just twist it uh, till it fits his own feelings yeah. about something. And that's what Beverly does all the time. Do you think he's letting Beverly influence him? Yes. Let, to? Absolutely. <laughs> he I was wondering, is absolutely there are some... letting Beverly influence him. Because there's like, it's not really until the end, it seems like, that, when he basically like yells at her mm-hmm. at the end when um all of, they're all trying to come back uh to the church and he says it wasn't supposed to be about me like i'm not your leader it's supposed to be about god no, god that he finally yeah. realizes that's like when he finally realizes his mistake with all of this he, and that's he, when, he when he realizes that bev is is wrong the whole time too cuz beverly says something like we will go out like sheep among the wolves and he says yeah, we're the beverly wolves. look around we are the wolves. That is um, what how that you could realization. Not see that. <laughs> exactly, and that's the thing. It's like how, how could you, you not, not see, see that? that? But the thing is, it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. Uh, and so when when we have this idea, uh, and you know, I've been fooled. I've been duped before. You know, you become trusting of people. You want to think good things about people, right? I think this happens in and outside of religion. You want to oh, yeah. be able to trust people ultimately, right? I don't trust anybody. But... Yeah, I know. But but there's always a kind of, kind of a desire to think the best of... Yeah. For me, I mean, I've always been like, I just want to try to think the best of people. But then how easily it is anyone can be fooled. I mean, you think about, I, I listened to that series, uh, the Jim Jones series that you sent me. Oh, yeah. And 
at first, I mean, you hear his reasoning, and it's yeah, like right? he want, it's about integration. It's about uh, overcoming, you know, sort of the racial prejudices of American society at a time when that was just not happening. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, this was it was like he started the People's Temple before. Um, Martin Luther King was really, it was before the March on Washington, before some of the big civil rights movement things. And it, it's, uh, it just became about his own ego and his own It became obsessions. about him and not what he was teaching anymore. Him. Yeah. And, and the thing is that he was leveraging religion for his own gain. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, at some point in that series, they even said he didn't really believe. No, I don't think he did. By the end, God. no. Yeah, and, and, he's, and by the time we get to the actual Jonestown colony, uh, it is all about him, you know. And using religion um, as a way to control people. Yeah, that's right. Which is where I have a lot of problems with religion. <laughs> exactly. And so do I. Yeah. And I think that is something that, you know, I think when religion is leveraged for politics, for example, the religious right movement is just, I mean, Billy Graham, you know, who was fairly conservative believer, you know, was was even like, this is horrifying. You know, the way that it has been used and abused um, for political purposes is not okay. And it's, no. I can't remember his quote exactly. There is a quote I do like, <laughs> though, uh, from Tony Campolo, who's actually a kind of a kind of a leftist when it came to, um, as a religious leader. But he said when it, because he was very much, you know, social justice and activism to lift people up and things, which I admire greatly. Um, but he said, you know, mixing Religion and politics is a little bit like mixing manure and ice cream. <laughs> it doesn't do much to the manure, but it sure messes up the ice cream. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, so I think that is a is a funny statement, but it's memorable, and I think I think there's truth in it. So when it's leveraged, I mean, we've seen that so badly with the Trump thing. You know, not to get too political, I get plenty political in my piece about this. I think the evangelical worship of Trump is one of the most disturbing things I have seen in my lifetime. And it's been almost a cult like devotion. I mean, for goodness sake, they built a gold statue of the guy and rolled it into a CPAC meeting. How can you not think of, you know, the 10 commandments and the golden calf? I mean, this is, (laughs) this is just like, I mean, if you've seen that movie, it was just sickening to me, Mm -hmm. especially with a man who clearly does not have any kind of Christian belief system, (laughs) only using it. I mean, there is no Christian that I know that would ever call a verse from 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians, for example. I mean, that is just a stupid little thing. That's something he said. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but then, but then on top of that, he's obviously... He's an opportunist. He's trying to use this. He knows that 
a lot of the Republican base is evangelical, so he's pretending to be one of them so that he can get votes. That's it. Exactly. You are being played. How anybody could hear him speak or anything yeah. and know what his life has been like and not know that he doesn't give a fuck about you, only himself. Like, yeah, you're absolutely being played. How do you not see that? How does anybody I, not see that? Yeah, I was like, I was like, I knew that the sheep, Jesus talks about the sheep coming among the wolves coming among the sheep and, you know, people being fooled. I never thought they'd be so obvious. Right. You know, I always thought they'd be much more sly about it. And it was just like, so I get it when they when that moment when John Pruitt says we are the wolves look around. I I can see why someone who has been a wolf suddenly realizes who they are and doesn't intend to be Mm -hmm. goes Oh man, I was so wrong. You know, and I think what that last part represents, I mean, when he, because Sarah gets shot, you know, by Sturge, which I forget that Sturge does that I know, I I, every too. time. Because, because I, because I'm even having seen it twice before, because I was watching it through going, I have a little bit of empathy for Sturge this time through. But then he shoots Sarah, which seems really oddly placed. At that moment, you know, I, I got to admit, that's one thing that I was kind of like, because he has just done this whole thing where Bev sort of dresses him down for for turning for turning Howard Howard yeah. to s- saving him, essentially, quote unquote. Right. And he just kind of seems resentful of Bev during that time i think well he's also thinking about self-preservation in this moment too i think because she's obviously going to burn down the church and they need a place to go yeah. before the sun rises <laughs> so yeah he's probably oh that that's true that's true. <laughs> you know i because okay here's and they're my all, thing about, they're all probably and we'll talk about Sturge more when we talk about beverly yeah. i think but yeah they're all probably but, a little bit influenced to do horrible things that they wouldn't normally do because they're vampires yeah. now yeah um but yeah that does kind of hurt a little bit like really it was sturge that does that Damn, I forgot yeah, about that. Because I was feeling a little bit of empathy. Because I mean, mm-hmm. he he's witness to this death and resurrection of Father Paul. Yeah. He reveals himself to be um, Monsignor Pruitt. He kind of has a reverence for the guy. You know, you can see that on his face. He's like, I saw a miracle happen. Yeah. Uh, he was dead, and yeah. then he woke up, and he just kind of happened to be there because he was just fixing the sink in in the. Uh, you know, I can't remember the parsonage, whatever the house is that the priest yeah. lives in. And he just happened to be there. And he, that's how he kind of got roped into this whole thing, yeah. I think. And then he's also but, kind of being used because he's basically yeah, totally. a vending machine for him. Right, right, right. <laughs> Which is just like, hey. But I honestly am like, I started thinking, I wonder if Beverly has something on him. Because he seems so scared of Bev. Oh, yeah. He seems scared. Every time they're together, it's like he's terrified of her. He just seems scared of the whole situation for most of the time. That's why it kind of surprised me a little bit when he finally, it's finally his turn, basically, Mm -hmm. to turn and to to show everybody else um, in the church about what's going to happen. When he says he's not scared. When he says he's not scared. I was like, really? Because you acted scared the whole time. I think that's because of Pruitt, though. I don't think that's because of Bev. I think he's he's like, I saw this happen. And I think he really has admiration for Pruitt is why he kind of is willing to do it. Because he saw 
it happened before. But he's scared of Bev, so he just kind of plays her little lackey just to survive, basically. (laughs) Yeah, that's the impression that I got this last time through. Because I was really, knowing where he ends up, I was really just kind of watching him much more than I had uh, any other time through this because you know after you watch a show a couple yeah. of times it's like i can i kind of get what's going on with the main characters sure now you, <laughs> you start looking to the secondary characters mm-hmm. and sturge i think is one of the more interesting ones i think he's i'd i'd like to know more about him frankly you know what's I was looking really more going at, like, on in his head yeah i was looking at like uker this time around, yeah. <laughs> last time around you know i was too you know uh, it was so it was like uh, him and uker and even warren, warren. to some extent mm-hmm. you know and ali who is yeah, sheriff hassan's son yeah there's a lot more to ali that i didn't really think about before yeah the first couple times yeah so we started this we were gonna talk about riley at first right we were gonna talk about <laughs> riley this is how I knew this conversation was going to go, though. <laughs> that, which, you know, hey, you're just going to have to bear with us out there. I think it's going to be a little bit freewheeling. But I There's think a lot Riley, to get into, yeah, with everybody. I think so. Riley's connections is actually with Father Paul is probably a great place to... I'm going to call him interchangeably Father <laughs> Paul and uh, and Pruitt and Monsignor John and uh, whatever. It's all the same person. It's all the same. Spoil alert if you haven't watched yeah. <laughs> if you If you've gotten with us this far, we've already spoiled quite a bit. Hell out of this. Okay. But I so think yeah, Riley, Riley is introduced. Yeah. He's kind of introduces us to the whole series. Yeah. It's a pretty, pretty harrowing little scene. Of, it is. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I mean, when they, when he just starts reciting the Lord's Prayer and he's drunk, obviously, mm-hmm. and we see, you know, the, young woman on the ground glass in her face you know the the reflections of the the way the I love just that. from a filmmaking standpoint the red that. and blue on the on the glass on her face is really like every time that he appears yeah. to her or she yeah. appears to him <laughs> mm-hmm. later well on. you see yeah. the reflections on his face first mm-hmm. and then it shows her is really well done that's yeah. one of the that's one of the images from this film that i think is going to last that people will really remember mm. um is how strong that is and i think there are a couple others as well but... also like the way that he backlights the the uh-huh. vampires at night and you can just see yes. their eyes uh, it looks so cool uh, <laughs> love it yeah i think the angel is going to be one of those memorable images as well yeah um i think also the way people burst into flame is gonna, <laughs> is gonna have something uh, that's gonna stick with people too um yeah but while he's reciting the lord's prayer you know and the medic says you know while you're at it ask him why he always takes the kids while the drunk fucks walk away with scratches yeah and that's the beginning of uh of riley's journey towards pretty much well, atheism yeah. you know though it's a it's an int- he says I think even though he comes out an atheist when he comes back to Crockett Island I think there's a touch of seeking for something going on I I don't think he is completely closed off as he thinks he is because I don't know if he would do some of the things he does if it was for nothing mm-hmm. you know I find th- one of the reasons I find Riley so fascinating and so compelling of a character is I think there's a, just a lot going on sure. uh, with with this guy. Sure, I don't see that either. I don't see him as... He, yeah, he says he's an atheist, and he says that, you know, he's he looked for God in, like, all these other different religions while he was in prison mm-hmm. and came out not believing in yet. 
how can you let go of like all of that stuff you know let you i mean obviously what he went through was i think a big enough you know life moment for him yeah to question all of those things that he'd grown up believing of course, of course. right but then yeah i don't really see him uh, the way that he seems very drawn to uh pruitt shows i think that he is not willing to let it go completely just yet like he sees something in this guy that maybe he he yeah. could be brought back if he if someone could do it in the right way you know in the right way yeah i think that's a i think that's a cool way of putting it because honestly i get the impression with him that going off island to an aa meeting is like not that big of a deal to him mm-hmm. you know because they show him go off island to that aa meeting and it's just kind of like there's no goodness, connection a, yeah it's like no thank goodness there. i'm away from this island for a while i'm not stuck here i can go out for a day even if it is to go to an aa meeting you right know? i think it doesn't seem to matter to him that he has to it's not an inconvenience so much because i mean it's like what else is he going to do but he's also <laughs> not know? he's also not seems to be not getting anything out of that no he's not going off island and going to that AA meeting and like 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 i said he needs like a lot of characters in this they just need the right kind of guidance it's a connection that he's looking Mm -hmm. for you know and uh i think he likes father paul he he won't he would never admit it (laughs) who he meets at the beginning at least is father paul yeah yeah Yeah, I don't That's what's so confusing would. about this. <laughs> I know. I know. I'll probably call think... I'll probably call him Pruitt the whole time. But <laughs> Yeah, I call him Father Paul at the beginning because, you know, he, he doesn't really different. reveal it until later. He reveals it in the fifth episode to him directly, uh, to Riley directly. And Riley's like, Oh, come on, you know. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that's kinda of funny what he says to him. Oh, come on, you know who I am. Yeah. Give me a break. So do um, you feel like you've kind of had a similar journey as Riley then? Is that why to some extent. You connected more with him? Yeah. Yeah, and here's a couple of things about Riley. First of all, he says that his big thing is, uh, I think their first AA meeting where he really goes off and he says mm-hmm. uh, about pain, right? Yep. He, he has a very, he has a really good argument, you know? Yeah. It's strong and I, and I get it, but I don't think that's why he's an atheist. I think he's using that as a front. I think there's something deeper going on. I think what is the real reason that he struggles to believe in a God that not so much that he would struggles to believe in a God that would allow so much pain, but he struggles to believe in a God that would allow him Riley to cause someone else that much pain and the guilt that he feels over that. Mm -hmm. I think that it is much more personal. If he's really honest with himself, it's, it's yes, the suffering in the world is horrifying, but at the same time, I think the personal nature of it is it's per his personal failing is what really clinches it for him. I think that's true. Cause to be honest, I mean, I kind of, I agree with him in that whole thing that he's talking about. It's like yeah. about God letting all the, the suffering happen in the world. How can he really exist if like the paramedics says at the beginning, like why do all the good people get taken away? And apparently yep. like all the bad people get to stay. But, but yeah, Riley also talks in that first day meeting too, about the, the saboteur that's inside of him. Mm-hmm. So he, he kind of, he's, he's blaming it on anything else but him. 
right? Yeah. He's blaming it on God. He's blaming it on this, the alcoholic mm-hmm. inside of him that comes out, you know, the saboteur that comes out and does these bad things. So, yeah, I think that is kind of where that comes from. He's not willing to admit that it's him. Mm-hmm. That they're, <laughs> yeah. all, they're all you, buddy. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't. It may change you. Um, the alcohol may have that kind of effect on you, but it's still all you and you are still doing that. And you have to take some responsibility for that, which he does. He does take responsibility for what yes. he did, but not entirely in a way, just because he. Yeah, because he, he tries to let himself off the hook a little bit. He does. He you know? projects that anger that he feels at himself for what he did onto other things, onto God for letting it all happen in the first place. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that just sort of. Okay, so he and Beverly both have big problems with this big, deep, difficult, theological issue that is free will. Mm -hmm. Okay, right? That God allows people to make their own choices. Yeah. Pruitt says God doesn't negate personal responsibility. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Personal responsibility. And it's this that's where this word, you know, so when we talk about a sinful, I mean, when we talk about a world filled with pain, we're talking about a world that is broken by people human sinfulness you know i mean what what that means is bigger than doing bad things Mm -hmm. i mean it's sort of just like the state of imperfection that we all even i mean what's the line that everybody nobody's perfect nobody is perfect no right i mean everyone acknowledges that right yeah whether they're a believer in god or not they believe they recognize nobody's perfect well it's those little those imperfections that add up to this pain in the world and this personal responsibility and this free will that yes, God allows to happen. And that is where these struggles are, you know, I think. I mean, and that's why the questions that this deals with are are unanswerable. They are not something that anyone's ever going to get to the bottom of. When you said, you know, that, that no amount of debate can ever prove or disprove the existence of God. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I cannot sit here and talk someone into believing that God exists or doesn't exist. That's not my job. Mm-hmm. So I, um, so my belief in God has to do with, to some extent, with my experience with what I believe to be God in my life. You know, mm-hmm. so that that's a, uh, you know, which is something that's very hard to explain. I, I, I don't. <laughs> right. I, and, you know, and it, again, it, it's just this idea. I cannot talk someone into understanding that or believing that, you know, and, and I think a, that's part of what Riley struggles with. Everybody's belief is personal. It kind of seems like there's an element of it that is for sure. Yeah. I, I it's <laughs> it, I'm, it's it's not always easy for me to articulate <laughs> any of this you know it's 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 challenging to kind of well and i I get the whole thing about um you know personal responsibility and prude is right for that i think riley is also right uh, again in his speech when he's about talking about god just letting it happen he's all he also says something about like the people that do believe in God that let it happen and don't do anything yeah. really to stop it because they can just say stuff like, oh, God works in mysterious ways or right. suffering is a gift from God. Right. 
that's a problem too. It is. It not is. And it is seeing suffering and yeah, just writing it off, it. not doing anything mm-hmm. about it and but saying that this is just see, what God wants to happen. This is why Jesus when he talks about, you know, he talks he has a parable where he talks about the sheep and the goats. Okay. So a shepherd separating sheep from goats. He says to the sheep, "Welcome, you know, those who are beloved of my Father. When I was sick and in prison, you came to visit me. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And they said, when? You know, when did we do that? He says, whatever you did it for any of anybody, you know, he says, the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. So when you, when you helped, when you visited someone in the hospital who was sick, when you went to prison and you just listened to someone's story, you know, what someone needed to talk, you were there for them. When you've done any of these things, you've done it for me. Those little acts of justice, those little acts of trying to to uh, address the pain in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he says to the goats, you know, who said, hey, didn't we do all these wonderful things? And it's like, well, you never, <laughs> you might have done all this stuff that is fancy and, you know, you might have built giant churches and done all this stuff that you claim was for my glory, but you know what? You didn't do anything because you never cared for the poor, essentially. Yeah. So Jesus is essentially addresses that, what Riley is saying, you know, just that the people who do nothing about it and say it's just, the, and you know, of, I mean, Lord knows I'm guilty of doing nothing too. Sure. Yeah, me too. But it's also a situation where, you know, sometimes we can't help everybody. I mean, as individuals, we can't, we can do our part though. And I think that is something that, you know, Riley needs to acknowledge too, that there are people like his mom who are undoubtedly doing these acts of kindness, trying to do their own part in these little reparations to the world, right? Does that make some sense? Making small changes and hoping it adds up to something big eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, when you set that up against those, all those imperfections that I was talking about too, I mean, Mm -hmm. it becomes overwhelming. And to be fair, there's probably no way to solve all of the pain and suffering in the world. (laughs) Because it is populated by people, as always. And there's, yeah. it's always, yeah. I think that's always going to be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the the life that I think Jesus calls people to live is one of compassion and, you know, action. Compassion in action, too, though. You know, where you do these, these things, you know, <laughs> where you share this love. And it's not going out, oh, I'm going to wear a sign and ring a bell that says the end is near. I mean, that's not, I don't think that does anyone any good. Who's that helping? Nobody at all. (laughs) Please don't do that. I, whenever I see that kind of stuff, it just makes me bristle too. Even like going door to door with your little pamphlets. Don't do that. That does nothing. I'm sorry. No, it's just like, who do you know? What are the relationships that you have? How can you help the people and be good to the people that you come in contact with? Or, you know, the strangers that you may not know that are in your world that you can make a difference in the life of. Because most of us can do something, but some can't. But you just, it's, and that's the thing, you know, uh, I 
believe it's not about what, not entirely about what you can do, but in my case, it's like, you know, um, which is because we can never reach that perfection as humans. Um, there's a measure of grace extended, so to speak, you know, by God, because we cannot fix it all. We can't, we do not have the power to completely fix it all. And that's where the struggles come in, where we see the pain and we see the suffering. That's where I think I and Riley and people like us have a problem, Mm -hmm. like believing in it in the first place. Which I get, yeah. That's pretty much what it comes down to (laughs) for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I understand that, I guess it brings you comfort, it it brings you guidance, but I just, I'm seeing too much of the bad and I can't see the good, maybe, quite yet. You know, and it's hard in the sort of, I think it's particularly hard in the negative news cycles and the all the things, you know, just that we were talking about Twitter before we <laughs> recorded, you know, just all of the stuff that's out there to see yeah. a whole lot of the good things, because those things, they don't get found out. People don't talk about them. I think there are a lot of things that go unseen that are those little acts of compassion that matter a lot to whoever they were performed to. Unfortunately, the most prominent churches, it seems, are spending their money and their resources on um, anti-vax conferences and things of that nature. And, you know, you hear news like Joel Osteen not opening his church up for the victims of flooding in Texas, which is abhorrent to me. I find that offensive as a Christian believer. I've seen that church. That's huge. Like, it could have housed so yeah. many people in there. That pissed yeah. me off when I heard that. I was like, this is why I have a problem with religion. It's people yeah. like this. Like that. How is that religious? How is that mm-hmm. practicing what you're preaching, what you say you believe? Well, he's practicing what he says he believes because he believes in a, in a gospel that is not the gospel at all. But that's another story. He believes that if he believes in getting he believes money, in the in the uh, prosperity gospel that God will wants you to be rich and will make you rich. Which I'm sorry, there is nothing in Scripture about anybody <laughs> that would lead me to believe that. How is that a good thing? Not everybody yeah, can be rich. Quite frankly, rich people are usually not shown in a very positive light in the Bible. In the real world, yeah. either. <laughs> so anyway, so I really like. Uh, as we've talked about before, like some of my favorite scenes um, in this are the conversations that Riley yes. and Pruitt have. Like we talked about that first AA meeting. Also, yeah, again, at the crockpot look, I think that's such a, a turning point for Riley, too, because he sees the um, the compassion that he has when that Pruitt has when he when Riley doesn't feel like he can ever go back to the church. Maybe he doesn't feel like he belongs or would be right. accepted back into his yeah. church, you know, because of what he's done. And the way that Pruitt just shows him no judgment, doesn't really show anybody any judgment at first, no. is probably very appealing to him. And I think that's, um, it just makes you feel bad for knowing what happens to Riley. It just sucks. Like he could have like been turned around in so many different ways because he had good guidance, at least at first. Um, if yeah. Pruitt didn't have this vampire angel with him, if he was just like this good guy, you know, teaching Riley and Joe mm-hmm. eventually, like he really could have turned their, their lives around because what really gets to me 
Another thing that really gets me about Riley's character is when he's talking to Aaron at one point, they're just like walking mm-hmm. home and he he says something about how you know he doesn't he doesn't do anything. He doesn't serve any kind of purpose. And it's not until he, they're talking about what happens when you die that he says that he feels like he has purpose. Right. You know, he doesn't feel like he has a purpose until after he would be dead and that he would be like feeding, you know, the, the ground and the, the earth again, it, which uh, that just hurts. You know, really like does. he's yeah, what he did was a horrible thing, but he's he's a good guy. He he feels he's the same thing as with why I like Joe so much and why you can see the real difference between someone like Joe and Riley and someone like Bev, that she's the bad person and they're the good people. Bad people don't know or don't care that they're bad. That's right. That's Bev. Yeah. Yeah. I, Joe and Riley have done have both done bad things and they know it and they hate themselves for it. That's why I don't see them entirely as bad people and they want yeah. to make themselves better. And that's why they're more compelling. That's why I certainly like them a lot more than Bev and have a lot more compassion for them than Bev, who is just full of judgment for everybody. Yeah. Except herself. Yeah. And, you know, okay, so every character I think that is interesting has a fatal flaw. And I think that uh, Joe and Riley have maybe the same one. And that is that they are unable to forgive themselves. They are, but you understand which why. I understand why. And it's a challenge that, you know, many of us have at different times. I, you know, I, uh, you know, personal failing is just, is a heavy thing to bear. Uh, I felt that a little bit stronger in the past couple years, you know, than I did before, you know, just really feeling like I failed my, uh, my wife in particular and just, the hardest step is the forgiveness of yourself, right? Okay, mm-hmm. so this, I think, takes us into Joe Cawley a little bit because he, um, of course, is he was drunk. He Years before, he was shooting his... Yeah, how long ago has, how was this I, I, that this happened? I don't know. It, it doesn't really... I don't it know if it really like specifies, but... Um, and he shoots his gun and it hits... Uh, Lisa um, Scarborough. Scarborough, thank you. And she becomes paralyzed from the waist down. And he basically become like a pariah on the island well, you know, yeah. because of that. Yeah. And, you know, hey, which kind of makes, I mean, I, it, that would be tough. I mean, for a town. Right. You know, to see that it's brutal. It's brutal. And I tell you what, the that scene where Lisa, okay, so... So when she comes to <laughs> yeah. his, gosh, when he comes to his, uh, his trailer and she says, I hate you. I want you to hurt. I want you to beg for my forgiveness so I can tell you no. All of that is true. And it's all still here. It's all still in here. But Joe Colley, I forgive you. And he just instantly just breaks down in tears yeah. because it's just like it's almost like it's too much don't forgive me i want... like that's the last thing he wanted to hear yeah it's like i don't want you to forgive me i want you to hate me i want you to be angry at me i want you to be all the things that you said before because it's easier uh-huh. somehow you know because that's <sighs> because i admired joe for like i said before for being self-aware and for you know, he's obviously ad- admitted that he made a mistake. He yeah. 
kind of accepts that everybody in town hates him, but he is also, he hasn't left. You know, yeah. he has that conversation with Riley about it. Like, it would be too easy. Yeah. Yeah. I have I I do have something you know for me that would probably make my life better you know being with his sister you know off island yeah. or whatever but he says that it would be too easy for him just to leave like he's he's still punishing himself yeah. which is kind of the the sad thing because he knows because it's a very small island what's the population like less than two hundred or something it says it's like one seventy or something like that yeah <laughs> so he he chooses to to stay there where he knows he's gonna see Lisa. You know, where every time that that one time when when she sees him, they kind of see each other on the street when she's with Pruitt. That's got to be so hard, you know, for both of them. Yeah, probably, obviously more for her. Um, I'll give a little bit more sympathy to her in this situation, you know, because <laughs> she suffered a bit more. But, you know, it's also hard for him. And he's he's punishing himself when in a way you kind of think he should, but to a point, you know, mm-hmm. like there comes a point where you have to, it was an accident and you can get better yeah. and you can not do that ever again. And it does, it does take her for giving him, which I don't know that she actually does. That's debatable. You know, you know, uh, forgiveness is a hard thing. <laughs> it, it is. But I tell you what, when, when you see Lisa after that too, there does seem to be something there's a weight off lifted. her shoulders sure. too yeah i just kind of uh there's a there's a bit of a struggle with the forgiveness thing and because mm-hmm. i i understand her i've had those feelings myself of having deep hate yeah for another person and i will never forgive that person for what they did but that hate is not something you want to hang on to. No, that that's the that's what, that's what I think that's, she's that's yeah. what I think she's doing. I think she's she's letting go of her hatred. I don't. You don't have to yeah. entirely let go of it though. Right. I think it's good to have a little bit of hatred. Right. I think she's, but it's too much of it that is that can consume you. It's a little bit scary. Because mm-hmm. uh, like, like I said, I went through that too, where mm-hmm. I had I had nothing but hatred. Mm-hmm. And that was not good. And I did not like the person that I was, the things that I thought when I had that much hatred. And just kind of, it's still kind of there, but letting go of a lot of it, that makes you feel a lot better. Yeah. You have a right to your hatred. She has yeah, an absolute absolutely. right to her hatred, uh, all of her feelings about him. She's totally in the right to, to think that and to feel that. And I like with anybody else, people always say that like forgiveness is not for the other person, it's for yourself. And I think that's what she's doing here, even though it does have a big impact on him. And I do think in that scene too, she's, uh, because she doesn't just say like, I forgive you. She keeps going she after does. that. I love what she said. I love what she says after that too. Um, what I have here is um, the only thing standing between you yeah. and a better life is you. And it says, and yeah. if I can forgive you, than anyone can. Yeah. By so which the only she thing standing means... in her, the only thing standing in her way was hate. Yeah, like I was talking about before, right. like that—that's how she's unburdening herself by saying, "I forgive you," and letting go of some of her hate. But that, but she can also see that I think through thinking about that and thinking about forgiveness, she sees that he can change too. Yeah, and that he—I think she sees what he's doing to himself because of what he did. And she's just because she Lisa is a very religious person. She goes to mass every day. So I I think she's probably heard talk of this kind of stuff before she has that. I think she has the love 
And I get the feeling that she, yeah, she, I don't really want to say it. <laughs> she would, as a person as devout as she is, uh-huh. I get the sense that she would be praying and struggling over this. That she yeah. would be yeah. like, I know I need to forgive. How can I forgive? Well, the truth is, by you know Christian belief system, she doesn't actually have that power on her own. God needs sure. to. <laughs> God is the one who ultimately has that power to be able to do that you know i mean because just this idea that because we're imperfect i mean how can we forgive of our own Mm -hmm. volition you know we need something greater than us to help us to do it uh, because that is especially something of that magnitude i you know it's very um yeah but i think that's oh gosh that's why forgiveness is so hard because there are things that I believe are unforgivable and there are people that you absolutely don't have to forgive to get through certain things, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, but it really is. It's an idea. <laughs> That's why it's so hard. It just feels like it's more of an idea than actually doing the thing. Like just saying, I forgive you. That's you, maybe you don't really like, you don't really like say like, Oh, it was okay. Like no, 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 no. That's, that's not, not that's what, not what you're doing. saying. There's personal responsibility. That's not what you're still. Yeah. That's not what you're mm-hmm. saying. It's it's just more about a feeling. It is more about for yourself. And but in this act, uh, she's giving Joe something too, which I really like. You know, she's saying that like because she forgives him, and that that pushes him forward to forgive himself. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't I know. think it. Do- well, <laughs> I, that, if I said that right because it's the implication is that you know the only thing stand if I can forgive you, anyone can. That comes right after the line, the only thing standing in your way is you, that anyone yeah. that she's talking about, I think, is him. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's yeah. sort of like, Joe, who cares what Beverly Keene or what even my parents think? I forgave you. If I did yeah. that, you can forgive yourself. And that's essentially what uh, Father Paul says in the next, in the AA meeting with them. He says... So she forgave you. God forgave you with, you know, confession, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> it's, I have a little. <laughs> oh, yeah, because he said, I heard your confession. I heard your confession, earlier, so yeah. God forgave you. It's like, well, okay. Um, I'm not Catholic, so it doesn't have the same kind of <laughs> kind of sway over me, I guess, um, that particular. The whole confession thing yeah. is like weird to me anyway. Uh, I, I, yeah. And then, well, and then he says, who does that leave? And mm-hmm. so obviously Joe was like, <laughs> you know, his, his sort of response to that is, uh, you know, is that it's yourself, buddy. Yeah. And I, but I think, <laughs> yeah. I think Riley's in that same boat, uh, forgive the pun, um, because, you know, when he finally does his final act, mm-hmm. I think of that as many things. One of them is an act of atonement on his own part, you know. I think where, so. You know, and what does he see before him? At the first time I watched, I was a little confused because it's like, is he seeing Aaron as a like a girl? Yeah. You know, is he? But then I realized, <laughs> oh wait a minute, it's it's his victim. It's the person that he killed, yeah. and she reaches that hand of forgiveness out to him, and he takes it. 
and I that's what I see that moment as you know and whether it's the the his description of life after you if it's you know his brain being flooded with psychedelics and he's dreaming and it, it doesn't really matter you know I mean that's all unknown I I don't think any of the answers including the final one to what happens after we die is really very satisfactory I don't think any of them are in my opinion um, yeah, there's one that I kind of believe more, but yeah. you don't really, there's not, it, there's because there's three different versions that they go yeah. through in this show of what happened, that answer to that question. It's just, it's hard. I, there's, I, Riley's is the one I kind of, I've always thought of more I, as being what it's like. Yeah. I actually find that one really compelling. I got to admit, I yeah. think that you know, even as a, even though it's a, it's sort of like the atheist answer. I, I actually think it's there's a lot of truth in that one too. I, you know, as someone who believes in a a heaven, you know, an afterlife, I think just this idea, you know, that your body, you know, mingles with, you know, it returns to the earth and feeds mm-hmm. the earth. That there's a beauty in that too. You know, there is. you know, I I really think that it's really eloquent way of putting it, and I. I admire it greatly. Yeah, there's things I agree with and sort of disagree with about all three of them, to be honest. Yeah, pretty much. You know? Yeah. But I think that's kind of the point of it. You can you can see you can see the appeal uh-huh. of all of them, but then you can also be like, well, but wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> On all of them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why that's that's why Joe just kind of breaks my heart though. It's, it's like he's so he yeah. is that he he knows how how hated he is and how how again like i said like how much of a pariah he is on the island and he talks about uh one of his best friends is a uh, bowl because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's nice to him um, he's a nice guy he's the yeah, only one who he is not a him jerk like a human to being. him yeah yeah even the sheriff is kind of a jerk to joe sometimes sometimes i mean i think there are some really like, nice moments though there are some yeah. really nice moments and cute moments between the two of them and then there's somewhere there's like it's kind of joking mm-hmm. there's like one line that he has to him it's like well i would think that if i really thought about you at all joe and he kind of smiles at that but i was like well that's kind of mean yeah. though <laughs> i don't know that i really like that yeah i know like i said <laughs> but, but the thing is every character's got good and bad in them yeah you know, there's no i don't think there's any character i mean even annie has a moment where she is kind of like where she just is so angry at she Aaron. goes off on air yeah yeah you know well you understand but you why totally understand why too. and i would probably have the same reaction <laughs> and that's the thing about this i love is that no character is all one thing or the other it's the yeah. million shades of gray that is just humanity i just think that somebody like joe is probably more in tune with that yeah. humanity than maybe some of the other characters and when he yes, asks Riley, um, does it ever get different for people like us? And Riley says, I don't think I don't so. Think I think that's true. Yeah. Because they have that awareness, you know, they have that ability to admit their mistakes and their um, their shortcomings where other people don't. So I'm mostly talking about Bev when I say right. something I know. that, you know, you know, know. <laughs> where she just thinks she's so fucking perfect and Her everybody else flaw, is she can't admit a horrible she's person. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. She can't admit she's wrong. I mean, that is almost the entirety of the problem with Beverly Keene. Everybody else has that that Mm self-awareness to a a point. Joe, I think, more than any of them. But she has none of that. I really like that moment for several reasons while uh, Joe and Riley are talking outside 
um, after, after that AA meeting. meeting. Yeah. This is one of the examples where there's just a melody of a hymn played on the piano very quietly. And it is, in this case, it is, the song is uh, Be Still My Soul, is what it's called. And Be Still My Soul, the Lord's on their side. Um, it's about taking steps and it's a it's sort of underscores the meaning of the conversation a little bit because he's talking about becoming better people you know we maybe if we keep trying even though other people don't change or they don't see us the same maybe we'll be different enough to notice not to notice or something like that i i, I can't remember exactly what riley says but it's something yeah like that and then uh joe says well here's to becoming different people which is, you know, a Christian principle, transformation. You know, the core of who you are doesn't change, but, you know, maybe the way that you interact with other people does. You know, that that's, that. that's yeah. what I think it's supposed to be about. And what Riley uh, says to Joe in the eight, when um, Pruitt kind of goes off on him for not being honest when Riley's bullshit. like, I don't, I don't have anything to say. Bullshit. Yep. Pruitt I love that calls part. I love that bullshit. part. <laughs> it's like, there is something that you can say to Joe that nobody else can right now. And I love that all he, all he says really is you showed up and that's enough. And that's enough. Which is honestly, is like, it doesn't seem like it's anything really profound, but for people in their kind of situation yeah. it absolutely is yeah I th- taking taking that first step towards being that different better person that's the hardest part he, that's what everyone says you know that first step is the hardest part yeah he says it won't always doing be it. enough but tonight it mm-hmm. is is essentially tonight what he is. says yeah it's lovely it's really lovely and when joe goes to see Pritt, uh, when he gets killed yeah. <laughs> unfortunately um Pruitt still has the thing where he um because Joe's trying to leave, he re- he's kind of seeing that something is kind of weird going mm-hmm. on with um, Pruitt. Mm-hmm. He still stops him and says, "I like, like I'm proud of you. You struggled today, and like, what? I forgot what he said exactly. Like, you had a you had a struggle today, but you got through it, or you had yeah. temptation and you didn't didn't partake in it. Well, and so that's a, that's something that's so important for somebody in in AA. Pruitt says to him, "I know how hard it is to fight against the yeah, hunger," <laughs> and it's like, well, because he and that exact moment is fighting against this desire to drink joe's blood (laughs) (laughs) they're vampires by the way the the (laughs) hunger i mean and and here's the thing okay so i gotta admit the first time i watched this i was like um it was i was going along we got to episode three where father paul or father paul reveals himself to be pruitt and and you know how he got young and all this stuff and i was like Mm -hmm. so it's vampires really yeah I did. that was I did my too. reaction i'll admit it i was like oh really but then it it's goes really in metaphor. some interesting places Sorry. Yeah, yeah it ends up being you know what the the way the vampires are done in this i think is really uh because there's there's sort of a even sort of a pseudo scientific explanation for it you know it's yeah. like this could happen in the <laughs> like real that. world i mean it's a stretch it's a stretch, but, yeah. but, you know, they do a pretty good job, you know, making it work. But the first time I saw this, that's why my initial viewing of this, I think I gave it four stars because I was really compelled by a lot of it. But then I was like, but it's vampires. <laughs> I've seen so much <laughs> stuff with vampires. <laughs> and I love vampire movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
I had that same feeling. I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. But then I thought it was a really good metaphor for probably maybe more Catholicism than Mm -hmm. Christianity. I don't know the difference. You'll have to help me with that. Catholicism is Christianity, but um, Protestantism (laughs) and and Catholicism are kind of... Okay. So Catholicism tends to be very... is very ceremonial and doctrinal and tradition-based. Right. So... Okay. There are no popes in uh, in <laughs> Protestantism. Maybe that's why we were kind of more drawn. Our family was more drawn to Lutheran because uh, it's not because I've been told by other by Catholics that uh, Lutherans like kind of the lazy denomination. <laughs> that's seriously what I've heard from some people because it's not all about all that ritual and stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's honestly there's some traditional Lutheran churches that really do have a lot of you know tradition and um, ceremony involved. I mean, it's sort of like. Uh, some people view it as sort of Catholicism light. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just remember it being a lot more laid back than when later on when I was when I uh, say it. I know I just <laughs> I don't know like later on when I've been in like Catholic churches for other stuff sure. before you know and had and that whole thing with the, the ritual and, and ceremony it makes me very uncomfortable and it makes me feel it makes me feel very weird mm-hmm. some people just find great comfort in it which is because i mean like for me the church i grew up in we, we don't you know have the same readings and things every time you know there's no stand up here sit down here and everyone just knows when it's yeah. done i've never particularly been involved in a church that does that but i there are some uh but you know it's not just catholic churches that are like that there are some traditional sort of mainline denominational churches that do the same kinds of things you know traditional worship sorts of things i've always been in churches that are more contemporary in nature where they're not assuming that everybody has been raised in the church and knows what's going on and again, I don't want to sound like I'm I'm criticizing anybody who has that or like by saying that I'm uncomfortable with that kind of stuff, because I understand um, I, that's what this show kind of made me confront is like, well, why do I have that kind of judgment when like I've had a similar uh, I was trying to compare it to being in a sorority. OK, as the part the part of the church that makes me uncomfortable is that the, the ritual and all that kind of stuff and how it how for what it looks like from the outside sure. you know yeah. you get the same thing with sororities to be honest like what is your impression of a sorority from the outside sure. <laughs> is that it's kind of it's kind of culty mm-hmm. and weird mm-hmm. and ex- uh, exclusive yeah and i was in a sorority when i was in college and uh, one thing that i just have to say is like there's been not a single tv show tv movie movie anything like that has ever even come remotely close to what my experience was like in a, being in a sorority it's all just like so tropey and just oh i feel like, the same way about um because i mean no church that i have ever been in has ever been depicted on screen right yeah and that, that kind of makes you be a little bit more defensive of yeah. it and like realize like where your judgment mm-hmm. probably comes from. It's like, well, you're just you think that because you don't know when I understand what it looks like from the outside, <laughs> you know, yeah. like there was like a video that was going around Twitter of like something uh, like something that was going on during a, a recruitment at a, at a college where it was like all these girls, you know, uh, when you walk in the door, all these girls were like singing one of their songs. It's like I've 
I've totally done that before. And it looked really weird. And it looked really culty. Like, but I know what that means, like from the inside, like we have, we, we do the rituals, because that's just kind of how it's been done. Mm-hmm. 98% of the time being in a sorority was pretty much just living in the same house with a bunch of girls. Yeah. Like we didn't do all that weird stuff all the time. You know, but it actually meant something to us when we did it. Like we had, we have symbols, we have songs. There was technically a secret handshake in a way, sure. <laughs> but we never actually used it. It was never. It was just something that. Um, that's what this. That's what the sorority meant to us. That's like the what we tried to kind of what we tried to to live by with everybody else because it was the same thing as all different types of girls living under one roof, and but we all we're friends yeah. <laughs> you know it is different once you're on the inside is what i'm trying to say you know right yeah i i can understand the analogy it's actually a really good one because yeah. i too you know i see depictions of various kinds of churches on screen and i'm like i have never experienced these things ever yeah so i mean that's what even one of the things that kind of drives me nuts about stephen king you know there's always this character that's a Beverly Keen <laughs> like, and or or yeah. worse. And it's like, I just don't know these people. I know they exist because I've seen them on spouting their bullshit on Twitter and stuff. But I, <laughs> I don't know them. I think there are probably a lot fewer of them than we would think from popular culture, you know? Yeah. But unfortunately they have loud voices. You know, that's part of the problem. Unfortunately, they persuade a lot of people for some incredibly bizarre reason that I do not understand. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, I guess that would be the same thing, you know, with the church too. Like there are some good ones, like what I was involved with with the sorority and there are some bad ones. Like we didn't have hazing. We thought hazing was so against, so against everything that we stood for Uh as what being a sorority was like, who would ever do that? But it's happened at other colleges, Absolutely, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I thought that kind of helped me understand and maybe be a little less. I, I feel like I was a little bit judgmental <laughs> beforehand, when I, but this show, I mean, I, and I thought about this before, but this show kind of really made me think about things that I had thought before and maybe not be so judgmental. <laughs> and that's kind of that analogy kind of helped me a little bit realize that, okay, I, I can see where I had those thoughts and where I probably shouldn't have those thoughts. And People shouldn't have those thoughts about sororities either. They're not that weird, I promise. <laughs> God. Yeah, well, you know, I hope you know, that's the thing. You know, when it comes to the episode like this, I think, you know, having an open, honest conversation between two people of vastly different backgrounds here about mm-hmm. a same piece of art, I really do think this is a piece of art, is just fascinating. I think that's one of the things that I, I was like, this is going to be interesting i'm nervous because i don't know what how this is gonna go you know (laughs) but um, yeah you know and i've you know i'll be honest i haven't spoken that openly since i've become a semi-public figure not very public but a little bit public figure with my writing writing online Yeah, yeah i mean i have just not talked about this because I know people who have just horrendous experiences with Christians in the church. And mm. I don't want to be associated with those people. That is not who I am. And I hope that people can sense that. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, or people that have valid criticisms about the church, yeah. but uh, not towards the people. Okay, honestly, when we first were starting to talk about the show um, and getting together, as we were getting to know each other, and I, I got that you were 
a religious person, I internally, I kind of backed off a little bit because I was afraid of the judgment. And then I, you quickly showed me that you weren't like that at all. <laughs> so I was, and then I felt bad for that. Oh, no, don't feel bad. I mean, that's, that's a perfectly logical perception based on what the, what we yeah. see in the world. Okay. Yeah. I'll admit that. I'm highly critical of the church. I'm highly critical of the current state of the evangelical church. I felt like you were going to be judging me, though, for things. So, but like you, you did show that you did not. You have not judged me for any of my choices that I've made recently. So, you're not like I've that. tried to. I've tried to encourage you, and you know, I mean, there are certain things that I'm like, have at it, uh, <laughs> you know, but. I, I probably, you know, it's probably best if I stay out of it, you know, um, but, you know, but we've talked about those things. If right? you know, you know. If you know, you know. But it's because it's like, I, I don't think I would be of any help to you whatsoever. That's fine. I don't know that I was entirely wrong for that judgment, though, no. based on what I've I've seen. That's that's kind of my feelings on it. Yeah. I've seen a lot more of the bad than I have the good. And that's what sucks about it, really. And I think the bad is much more public. Sure. You know, yeah. uh, whereas the positive is you don't see because it's these interactions with people on an individual level. I mean, there's more of a... The positive is somebody like Andy. Yes. That is just a good person. You know, and I think Ed's a good person who just doesn't know how to talk. <laughs> he just doesn't know how to express yeah. what's in him uh, so often. And I find Ed to be, uh, who is Riley's father, uh, played by Henry Thomas, who who knew the little kid from E.T. would grow up to be s- such an incredible actor. I mean, I always he I thought he's, he's great as Elliot. But I tell you what, Henry Thomas um, in the Flanagan work, especially has been so compelling. I think I, and he doesn't always get, you know, the big leading roles. I mean, Hill House was probably his sort of biggest role in the Flanagan verse, right? And he doesn't always get roles as a good guy. That's right. That's right. And I think his role in Dr. Sleep is remarkable that he would dare to do that. Uh, But we'll talk about that next time. Um, (laughs) He also has a very important role in Gerald's game. Gerald's game. I forgot about it, him being in Gerald's game. I'll need to. I'm, well, I know we're rewatching that one as well. So I, uh, yeah, I, it's not something I had thought about. Um, he also played Norman Bates in Psycho Four. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that. In so uh, no, long. I haven't either. I haven't <laughs> I seen it in many, that. many years. But um, <laughs> anyway, where are we and where are we going? I, I think. Um, Boy, it's 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 so tough. I mean, I think uh, some like we were saying. I think Father Paul and Riley, those meetings they have are really uh, excellent. You know, this whole thing, the debates and the discussions that they have are so they're good. so good. And you know, people sort of criticize the show for all its monologuing and stuff like that. Those, I don't give a fuck. Those always felt right to me, though. The ones there's only one that kind of made me go this really feels like a writer writing um yeah it's really writery yeah is it aaron's aaron's description of heaven second version heaven? both of them actually both yeah of them. yeah both of them really feel more so way. more so her second description of heaven is like so yeah <laughs> not heaven but just what happens when what you happens die. when you die yeah <laughs> and then the other one is the sheriff's uh, story about how he came to the island it's sort of that's a good it's one, really though. really really good it's really good but it's like, that's a long story for, 
record, you know, <laughs> what, what you were trying to say. <laughs> it felt like something he needed to get it out, does. Though, and I think <laughs> to that character. I you know? think if it had been to any other character besides Sarah, it wouldn't have worked. You know what I kind of like about the monologues in this show, though, is that when someone, after someone delivers a monologue, it just, the, ne- the other person just, like, goes on to the next thing as if they hadn't just talked for, like, three minutes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. Well, I mean, the whole point of the show is not, you know, about the vampires and the thing. The whole point of the show is exploring these deep questions, right? Right. You know, there are so mm-hmm. many things that this show is diving into deeply and i think um some of the one of the things that i really like is uh when he talks about when riley and uh pruitt are having one of their meetings just the two of them and he says you know lisa walking you know it's all explainable you know healings happen um you know Mm -hmm. i can explain all that what i can't figure out though is how you knew you know i think that is a really cool part there and and there are lots of those kinds of things you know uh i think uh, there there's a couple of things i wanted to to hit with riley before we kind mm-hmm. of i think probably move on to him and aaron together yeah uh and that is ed and riley on the boat yes that conversation is so challenging because like i said riley just i'm uh, not riley but ed knows what he means but he doesn't know how to say it and he's so yeah i mean as far as I get what he's, t- I get what he's saying. Though. He just maybe doesn't say it the right way. The sentiment is there, but he he just says, you know, you I, you really disappointed me, and he, just the way he's saying it, and he's trying to have this positive heart to heart with his son, but every way he's framing it is just the wrong words for it. Mm. You know, it's like, gee, I'm really glad we had this talk, Dad. Uh, but, you know, it's just, <laughs> so wait, just just listen to me, okay? So the way you turned out must have had something to do with his with your parenting uh so your mother's a saint so that pretty much just leaves me screwing you up i mean (laughs) (laughs) that's basically what he's saying that's basically what he's saying and the thing is i understand that i get that it's like this idea that what we say uh what did we do along the way that made our children turn out the way they turned out you know and i think my my children are wonderful but i see these pains that they experience and they're going to experience pain. That's just the way it is. You know, there's no escaping that in, in this broken, imperfect world full of imperfect, broken people that we live in, you know? Right. But mm-hmm. you're, yeah. you just like when, when I see, you know, my daughter in particular struggling or something, it's just like, what did I say that led to this? What did I do that, you know, made her feel, you know, th- there's so much of that that happens as a parent. So Ed's sentiments here are are just like so moving to me in a lot of ways, but he just goes, he just says, you know, he just, all he, all he wants to say is, you know, I, I love you. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. what he really wants to say is I love you. And I'm... Well, it kind of reminds me of the discussion that we had about baby and her dad and yeah. dirty dancing. Mm-hmm. Or it's kind of like the parent realizing that your child has grown up and mm-hmm. different than who you thought they were going to be yeah. and accepting them. Because what he, uh, what Ed says at the beginning of this conversation is um, like how much resentment that he had for Riley and how he, that made him feel 
bad about himself, Riley's you know path in life. It made him feel like oh that he was just a your boring old blue collar dad yeah. that you know works as a fisherman while you go off and have this like tech job that I don't even understand. Mm-hmm. There's some personal stuff that he's <laughs> that's not Riley's fault. That's like yeah. his own stuff that he's got to struggle through. But yeah, I mean, it's just your kids are not going to no, be the same no. as as you are, and you gotta accept the people that they become. And he's just yeah, he's just not saying it right. In yeah, this. you know, I gotta say though, one of the moments I really love with Ed is the I can't remember. I think it's the Ash Wednesday sermon when Pruitt says Jesus's first disciples were fishermen, you know, and he just mm-hmm. kind of gets a look on his face like, yeah. You know, it's like he does. It's this this matter of maybe I'm not just nobody. You know, I I think that's what Ed wants to feel more than anything is that he's Mm -hmm. not just a nobody, you know, and boy, I don't think there's a middle aged man on earth that hasn't felt that. (laughs) I mean, this is the George Bailey thing, right? (laughs) Sure. Uh, Well, also in regards to Riley, you also can understand his disappointment. mm -hmm his hurt at what the, how, how that makes him feel about you know, again like yeah the job that he did as a parent because of what riley did because of that, that first like um dinner conversation that they have mm-hmm. where annie is very accepting of of riley right away yeah. you know she's his mother and she's the the best person on the whole friggin' island as we've already said mm-hmm. but when riley talks about you know church not really being his thing anymore ed like freaking blows up at him for that and you understand that he's angry um like okay what the teachings we we taught we raised you up the the best way we thought how the right way we thought in the church you were this altar boy we thought you were going to turn out a lot better than this but you go and you do this like you kind of understand the the anger yeah he has i i do i i actually i think you know so there's the character i'd most like to be is probably annie uh, the the one that I feel like I relate to the most, you know, is sort of a personal, well, and the person that I think I'm compelled the most by is probably Riley, but the one I probably relate to the most is Ed, you know? <laughs> and so I, sure. I, I get all of this, you know? But you can also see him struggling with that, those feelings. Uh-huh. Like he doesn't, he doesn't obviously want to hate his son. No, of course not. <laughs> I mean, I don't hate my children. That's not what I'm trying to. I don't think he. I no. don't think Ed hates his children. I think he. I think he. No, he's but... like. I think it's his. He feels his own personal failings and how his children, in the mistakes his children have made. Even though Riley mm-hmm. is trying to change that, he's trying to make himself better, and that's what Ed should be proud of. You know, that's what Ed should be seeing. Sure. Is that Riley is trying to make himself better? Uh, that I think is a testament to their parenting and th- and he's just at a point where he can't see that at that moment because he has just gotten back out of jail all the expense that that caused and they don't have they're really struggling financially since the oil spill mm-hmm. he has to he has to take every shift that he can yeah. just so they can get by and he says at one point he always looks so tired he always in his mm-hmm. his back is always hurting back. him and you know his body is just so and the way the way Henry Thomas plays that, you know, you really feel the aches and pains, you know, because mm. uh, I was like, at the beginning of this, I was like, Henry Thomas looks older. They they have him pretty made up, don't they? <laughs> He's the only one that I knew yeah. that about, though. You know, I got to admit, yeah. I didn't know that about the other actors. Cause the, the Annie, yeah, the Annie makeup was really good. I was like, when they 
yeah. And she gets younger. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I totally Millie believed too. her as this older yeah. character. Yeah. But it was only him that was sort of a tip of the hand to me that they're going to get younger. You know? Right. <laughs> so, um, but it, it's subtle the way they do it, though, with Ed and Annie in particular, I think. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a subtlety to their de-aging um, yeah. that's never drawn massive attention to it. Where Millie's the only one where it's really like radically a change, <laughs> yeah. right? I do kind of like, I didn't really think as much about Ed before this, but I do like how they, how Flanagan is showing like both of those sides of being the parent. Because mm-hmm. you feel, you feel that sense of, um, rejection from him too when he gets when he gets so mad at him for like not wanting to go to church and he when he says like you're gonna go to church like consider it being a part of your parole yeah yeah. it it does feel like a rejection of like everything that he's been taught like it like you're gonna reject this but then you're gonna go and do that bad thing like you again you understand where he's coming from and you um i don't know i just i just hadn't thought about him as much before and because I didn't, I didn't really like him. I didn't really like the way that he taught. He, um, he was acting towards Riley at first. I was like, well, he obviously feels bad, and he went to prison, and you should be welcoming him back home and helping him. But he has a right to his feelings too, just like yeah. And I think like he's does for Joe. I think he is seeing it as helping him as sort of a tough love kind of thing. I, again, I don't sure. know if he really knows how to express that. Is the problem? I mean how hard it is for him to say what I want to tell you is I love you is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, he's, he's one of those sort of stoic guys of a certain generation and cultural background that is not going to express feelings. Mm-hmm. That's relatable. I think to a lot of people who, especially those who come from maybe a more blue collar background like that. So I, th- I like that about this show too. Okay. So I think this maybe takes us into Aaron a little bit because uh, just yeah, the, we got about Aaron. the relationship that these two have Riley they sort of there's this sort of spark between them because Aaron was sort of the opposite of Riley they have similar paths uh, but opposite beginnings yeah. and endings in a way yeah yeah <laughs> so there's weird. almost they're almost mirror images you know they have because uh-huh. uh, Riley was the altar boy who goes off yeah. and all this happens to him. He becomes an atheist, whereas Aaron was sort of the the rebellious kid, the wild, the child. wild child, you yeah. know. Who, well, and and her her mom, you get why. <laughs> um, sure. When the more the more I realize how awful her mother was, I would rebel too. Yeah, sure. and I get it. So she tries to escape that conversation where she says, "I woke up one morning and realized I had married my mother." And I could have stayed there. She says I would have died. I would in that have house. died oh. in that house. Yeah, because her mother was an alcoholic and abusive, and she married a, an abusive alcoholic. It seems like. Yeah, and so she then returns to the island, and not only returns to the island, but she finds comfort. Find out in faith. Find out she was pregnant. And that's why she left. Yeah, she found out she was pregnant, and yeah, she comes back, and she comes back to the island. Actually, takes over her mother's house and job but also she has found this sudden awakening of faith in her that i think is is interesting you know it's she's she's i wouldn't exactly call her the prodigal son exactly because she (laughs) she was kind of never part of this and then she comes along she comes back you know 
to she finds comfort or in this faith purpose perhaps i i does we don't really find out what it is that sparked her to be attending mass and being part of this you know she just said that it's been good for her that's all she yeah. says it's been good for me which i kind of understand it's a it's a sense of community it's uh i guess it's mm-hmm. I, I i don't really understand it personally i, I maybe the comfort there's a sense of comfort she gets from it too um just a place to turn yeah because she seems very alone otherwise until riley shows up until riley shows up maybe she has questions of her own about you know things that she's been through things she's experienced that she's looking for answers to Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't really know what her thing is why she turns to the church but she's not um She's like kind of not really, she's not a Bev, definitely, no. but she's not really an Annie. She's somewhere in between the two yeah, of them. I think she's uh, <laughs> what we used to call, in, we used to call a seeker, I guess you would say. Someone who's who is curious about, but you know, it's more than that with her though. It's not just curiosity. She seems to really have knowledge too about the Bible. She talks about some of the you know like just no greater love than laying your life down for other people you know uh that things like that i mean it's not just it's not a nothing kind of thing it's 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 yeah. uh because it doesn't seem like she went to church when she i, could, I don't really know what her background is entirely like hmm. her mother was probably she was kind of a bad because yeah, maybe. That's where that's coming from. She was one of these people who apparently would, uh, you know, go to church on Sunday after emptying a bottle on Saturday, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And she'd been around it her, you know, her whole life, mm-hmm. just being on the just island. Just being on the island. I mean, it's a small town. You're going to experience that. And she was yeah. obviously close with Riley when they were younger, too. Who was an altar boy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's probably been that curiosity within her her whole life and she's this is her first opportunity to really explore it where the first time in her life i think where she's in a place where she might need it because mm-hmm. she's changing her whole life by m- moving here alone she's gonna have a baby alone so she needs something maybe a little bit more than herself to guide her mm-hmm. maybe that's what she's looking for i don't know yeah yeah Anyway, Aaron is uh, just kind of a lovely person, though. I mean, I know. You I know, love Aaron. <laughs> uh, she seems to be, she's got that compassion. She's got that, uh, she's a teacher. She's good at what she's she does. You know, you really get the impression that she's a, a really good teacher to the kids on the island. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. Bev also works at the school <laughs> and she can't stand working with her, of course. Who could? No. Uh, no, anyway, and she's probably kind of dealing with a similar kind of thing that Joe is, and that there's a lot of gossip about her on the island, which is what makes her feel alone. Again, like I told you before, um, when we were off mic, about another reason why I really love Annie is that that one scene um, at the when they're all having dinner, and Warren kind of brings up the gossip that's going on about Miss Green. It's like, oh, she was obviously up to something crazy while she was away because she came back and pregnant. And what's Annie's reaction to that? It's like, so? Mm-hmm. Who cares what she did while she was away? She's a good person now. She's a good teacher. Yeah. 
And we should respect her for that. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I just, I really love that moment. That's what makes me love Annie a lot. She's, Annie is so much the antithesis of Beverly. I know. You know. She's just so lovely. Mm-hmm. But Aaron has, she seems to have the, or she's starting to, to gain a lot more of the belief, but she also has the same, like, criticisms and questions as Riley, I think. Yeah, I think she has a lot of the same criticisms and questions as me, <laughs> yeah. you know you've read them and I've said some of them again here, you know, just these, this self-righteousness of Beverly Keene is something that she just can't abide. And I, I get that so much. I mean, Beverly just constantly looking down her nose at Aaron clearly she doesn't say which i didn't really get why i know i mean for goodness sake even though she's pregnant she was married when she got pregnant (laughs) you know i mean even if you're gonna be judgmental about it i mean come on i asked if it was because she thought she was a whore for like having a baby like (laughs) well no here's the thing here's the thing it's because she knows aaron as a kid and aaron as a kid was Mm. rebellious and you know what She's just never gotten over that, I think is what it's all about. It's like... Really? Yeah. Maybe. It's like, you know, your mother uh, was would just never waste a thing. It's like, you know, that's funny because at home, my mother never never met a bottle she couldn't empty, which I... <laughs> That line. Uh, that's the thing. Aaron tries to tell her, yeah. like, this person that you think so is so good, good I awful. knew who she really yeah. was. And Bev is not even listening no. to that. Like, I can't stand her. I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, know. I, I I wrote a line about Bev. I made one of my notes about Bev is I hate her so much. <laughs> In big capital <laughs> <Pretty much>. letters. <laughs> yeah. Big capital letters. I mean, that sums it up. Uh, so, what else about Aaron? Well, there are two scenes that I think are particularly, before Riley dies at least, that are particularly pertinent. And that is first, you know, the what happens when we die conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, her version of it, I got to say, I, okay, so some of what she says is sort of like the view of heaven that is. I don't like it. That is just sort of trite and. You know, you go somewhere and God's there and your family's there and everything is happy. And you know, you grow nothing up but love and, and happiness you know, and joy forever and ever. And joy. However, there is something that she says that I think I, I do like and I think it is part of it in my belief. Uh, and that is when she says, you are loved and you are not alone. I think that that is an element that I, that I like about what she says. And you are aware of that. My view of heaven is I've tried to articulate it elsewhere to you off mic. And it's very hard to try and articulate those things, but she does say it's not clouds and angels and harps and things like that. But still her version is too rosy for me. The whole time she was talking, I was like, no, I'm not really believing that she's she's in a state now because this is the episode where she's lost her baby. Mm-hmm. And so she's I don't know what she's doing. Like she's trying to find some comfort in what she's uh, mm-hmm. in the, the teachings, you know, I guess from the church yeah. maybe. And yeah. but maybe not thinking as, as logically right now because she needs to think something happy for yeah. herself and for her baby in this moment. 
But yeah, the whole time I was listening to her describe this, I was, I was like, no, that kind of just sounds like the bullshit version to me. That sounds like that's too too rosy and happy for me. And I, I don't, can't believe that that's what it's actually like. Yeah, I and I don't think that it is, but I do like elements of it. You know, just those couple of things, you know, you're you do know that you are loved and you do know that you're not alone, I think is um, is good. <laughs> you know, I think that is mm-hmm. that is something that is powerful um, because I think we that's something in life. Most of us struggle with feeling alone and feeling unloved. Right. Sure. Or un unnoticed, <laughs> you know, or, or something along that nature, right? That's me like every day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just, so I think that, well, I mean, we're, no one's asking me, so we'll ask what, what does Riley think? Uh, Riley thinks that, well, we've said it a little bit, you know, that he dreams, you know, in that after his heart stops, his brain continues to function and, you know, he dreams, the most vivid dreams he's ever had in the five minutes until his brain dies. Yeah. His, his description is very scientific. It is. It is. And I think it's really interesting. And I, I like ultimately, you know, and then my body will decompose and it will feed the earth and living things. And yeah. in a sense, I live forever because of that. I think that is an interesting um, and uh, powerful way of putting it too, from a completely, you know, separate from a higher power kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I I like that too. You know, I think yeah. it's really good, his description. I actually find his description more compelling than Aaron. I do too. So. And I, but I also can kind of see in it uh, an escape for him, um, a way that he's trying to find comfort with what he's struggling yes. with. Because he also says that... You know, he has, there's going to be like a flood of DMT in his brain. It's going to be a memory dump. And then, but then after that, there's going to be no memory, no awareness that I ever was, that I ever hurt someone, that I ever killed someone. He just wants to completely forget about that, (laughs) which is understandable. Yeah. Yeah. But God, that really got to me though, because you can just feel the the pain when he's, when he's saying that. And Nearer My God to Thee is the song that's playing during that. That's the same song that is sung at the end of the whole series, right? And I think that is, that is well placed. You know what? This kind of makes me think of like what I used to think about death when I was a kid, because I didn't, I I didn't have religion. I didn't have anything else really to, um, to go by. I just, I can remember scaring the shit out of myself when I had this like very clear picture of what I thought death was. Mm-hmm. And I had this picture in my mind of being underground, but the, the ground on top was just like a desert. What I, what I pictured, it was so weird because what I, what I could picture was just one of those like lonely desert roads, yeah. you know, nothing, nothing there, nothing around you, no sound, no thought. And when I got like really deep into that thought and I actually had like no thoughts at one point that scared the fuck out of me when I was a kid. Cause that's what I pictured that death was, was just not being uh, at yeah. all. And that's kind of, that's a little bit of what I got from, from Riley's. Cause when he says like no memory and like no awareness that I ever was, I was like that, that's exactly what I thought too. Mm-hmm. And that was, I didn't have any kind of comfort in, in that. So when he he's talking about it, you know, going on and yeah, you're, you're feeding something and becoming a, a part of uh, the earth and a part of life again. That's the good part of it. But the other part is very scary. <laughs> yeah. That's why I do. Oblivion. I do. It's hard to imagine. Yeah. Oblivion. Yeah. Right. And 
I, I got there when I was a kid, I, like literally when I was like 11, 12 years old, I remember having this thought and it's not good. Yeah. So uh, definitely as much as I don't believe at all Aaron's first version, like there's definite comfort in that when you consider the alternative yeah. of what you could be looking forward to, you know? Yeah. See, for me, heaven is more complicated than that, but uncomplicated in some ways too. Essentially, and you know, this is something that I've just sort of come to learn, you know, in the past 10 years maybe, is that heaven is more like the earth and the universe, the cosmos, everything as God originally intended it to be. So everything set right. Things before imperfections were brought into either the environmental world or into humanity. But, you know, before that happened, you know, the Garden of Eden, you know, talks about working. You know, it talks about in when in Revelation, it talks about, you know, the kings of the earth bringing gifts to God. These are like works of their own hands, things that they have created and worked on without hindrances of, uh, of imperfection, soiling that, being able to produce the most magnificent works of art, the most magnificent music, films, or whatever. All of these things, it's, it's not that there's no purpose. There is purpose. That's the thing. Because this, the sort of traditional view of heaven that you're laying on a cloud, that is just not what God and God intended humans uh, for a lot of things, you know, and sitting around and doing nothing is not really one of them, you know, all the time. Rest is important, but I mean, I think, I think that (laughs) I don't think that's what it's about. You know, I, I think we, we see, you know, sort of glimmers of, of sort of what heaven is like in the earth that we see. Cause I mean, we see, like, I look at a mountain and I go, Oh my gosh, it's incredible. It's beautiful. Well, imagine what it would be like if it was the way it was supposed to be, you know, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, you know, or, or this tree, you know, if it was not encumbered by pollution or by this or that, you know, what it could be, you know, what human interactions could be if they were not encumbered by, uh, the various things that keep us apart. That is, it's, and like I said, it's hard to articulate every element of what I'm trying to say. Um, right. But <laughs> I, I kind of get it, I think. Yeah. yeah. And you have no knowledge that it ever was like that? That it was as it is now? Mm-hmm. That I don't know. Would you be living in this perfect world but and not having any knowledge of all the bad things that have ever happened? Well, I, I be, think you appreciate... That sounds perfect. I think you appreciate <laughs> the good things because of sometimes you appreciate the good things because of the bad things more true Uh, so in other words i don't know i mean these are (laughs) these are the things that you know when father paul talks about mysteries yeah those are some of the things he's talking about you know he's talking about the christian perception of god as a triune being that is one God revealed in three persons. What does that mean? What does that look like? I have no idea because it's beyond my ability to comprehend. But honestly, some of these mysteries and some of these things that are beyond my comprehension are some of the reasons why 
I hold on to a belief in God because it's like, if I could just explain God entirely, if I could knew everything that was happened, then God would not be God. God would be something that is fully explainable. And I don't think that if God is real, I don't think you could fully explain God. I think that is a limitation of, I'm. it's just, I don't know how else to finish that sentence. <laughs> I didn't expect to, you know, get too uh, theological here, but, you know, I apologize right. <laughs> for those whose eyes are glazing over right now, but I... It's a lot. Yeah, it's like, but again, I just don't know how to put everything into words that about why. And that's hard, sure. And that's part of it too, is again, it's that just because <laughs> I can't explain it is actually for me in a weird way, part of the reason why I believe. See, and I'm the opposite. It's like, if I can't explain it, how can I believe in it? I don't, I don't get it. I don't see myself ever be able, being able to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if my belief even entirely comes from me, you know, it might come from God. So anyway, <laughs> I don't know. That's, uh, that's again, uh, you know, the, the, even the trailer, if, if you hit the trailer on, uh, for midnight mass on Netflix, uh-huh. that's what it says. Mysteries. We don't like mysteries, you know, Yeah, we don't like mysteries. Um, yeah. and I, it's, it's from that sermon. That's, is kind of the voiceover of the trailer. And I'm like, you know, it's true. Uh, mysteries and paradoxes and tensions between things. That is the non-simplistic version of the Christian faith that the current state of Christianity tends to ignore because it's too complex. But if God is God, he's going to be complex. But then again, you know, like I said in my article, (laughs) what it comes down to it, what is it all about? It's all about love, love and that annoys the heck out of us, doesn't it? That we hate that almost as much as we hate mysteries. That it could be so boiled down to something so I don't hate that simple as love. You know, I think a lot of people are really bothered by that idea. I don't hate that at all. I think that's what it should be. Good. Okay. I'm glad <laughs> to hear that. I'm glad to hear that because I and that, I know there's a like I said to you too. If I if I actually saw that from people who claimed to believe in that, I would have a lot more respect for it and them. But I don't see it all the time I <laughs> well i mean i hope you see it from me as <laughs> and i yeah. hope you see it from, <laughs> I said not i said not from everybody yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but from you know i hope that there are people that i my hope i mean if the if there's any truth to it at all it's transformational it's this idea that people will who believe in or say they believe in christ will show it that there will be evidence of that belief in their life. And I agree with you. There is just not enough that we see. I completely agree with that. I mean, that almost takes us to Bev again, but I mean, um, yeah. but we're, we, I, I think part of, we got to finish up with Riley and Aaron, Riley and Aaron, his story in the boat is the next thing. There are a couple of things here, you know, cause it, it, it it's a flashback of course, and he's talking about, you know, after he was attacked by the angel, he, uh, you know, he's sort of revived by Pruitt, who reveals himself finally to him to say Pruitt, you know, this conversation where he says, where he talks about how he killed Joe, you know, where Pruitt talks about how he killed Joe. And he says, 
he was taken, I was sustained. You know, and he uses this scripture that Beverly gave him that is completely out of context and twisted into this weird pretzel to make it I know. fit with make it okay him. that you just yeah. killed this person. Yeah, to make it okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a pretty big scripture earlier that says, you shall not murder, that right. <laughs> I think uh, probably, uh, you know, trumps that one. But it's just, it's it's funny. Anyway, yeah. is, is how people <laughs> do that sort of stuff. Um, but he says... And there's he also asked a him, good conversation go when he's what? asking about like how he felt. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm getting at. So like, how yeah. does that make you feel? I love feel? this conversation. And he says, disgusted. No. Angry. <laughs> no. He says, I asked for honesty. I have given it to you. There is no room. Now tell me how you feel. Jealous. Before he said it. Yeah. Before he said it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah I knew he was going to say jealous. Yeah. It's just like it. And I was like, that's perfect. Uh, and you know, you get it. I mean, there's a certain amount. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, yeah I, mm. you get it. And that's where to me, it's like Riley is not angry. So much angry about the pain in the world. He's angry about that, but he's more angry that he feels so terrible about killing somebody. Sure. And and that <laughs> is the, for for a show like this to be so honest about something like that mm-hmm. is really something. Uh, it shows an insight into human nature that I don't think that a lot of artists w- are willing to go to that place. I really think that what Flanagan does here, especially you know when he's talking about recovery in link link to this, you know, it just makes it that much more, you know, kind of deeply powerful, you know, that sort of complete honesty. There was another conversation between Riley and Pruitt that I liked too, which was after, yeah, that was in Lamentations. Let the name of the episode was Lamentations. Um, after Aaron has lost the baby and uh, Riley asked Pruitt, like, what what would you have said to her? Do you really have the right thing that you can say to her? And there, this is where I was kind of um, what he says here Pruitt does he says we can never um, understand the will of God we must trust in the Lord with our whole heart and that's that's the kind of thing that makes me kind of convinces me that that's not something that I could ever do mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah I, I, I that's because that's a big word for me trust like yeah. we've talked about this before and he says not relying on our own insights like that doesn't really sit well with me either mm-hmm. <laughs> like just blindly trusting something that I can't explain that nobody can really explain or, or really know exactly what it means. Uh, that just, that doesn't really sound right to me. And Riley says, you know, just give yourself over to something, whether you understand it or not. Uh, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. And it's like, I can't do that. Um, I'm like, I, I get being humble enough to say that, no, I can't explain or mm-hmm know everything about everything in the world you know that's nobody can do that but i i don't know i also can't (laughs) blindly follow something that can't do the same thing either (laughs) that doesn't make sense to me in a way i don't know i can't really explain (laughs) you know i think (laughs) you know i think that to, to sort of go a little bit from what i said before it's not just because i can't completely understand or comprehend every single nuance and depth of what God is or would be doesn't mean that I can't understand some of it. 
or an element of it or seek to learn more or I can, I guess maybe part of the, maybe the word is apprehend. I can apprehend things that about the Trinity, for example, even though I can't entirely through my own limitations comprehend it. I can, I understand what it is about. What that looks like, I don't know exactly, but you know, I sort of understand the principles of it. Someone asked me one time, uh, do you really know truth if you don't know the whole truth? And I said, well, no one can know the whole truth, but you can still know truth. You can know elements of the truth without all of it, right? And I think that's kind of what he's saying, though. I, I think the way he's saying it is not entirely, I think, the best way to understand, to, to say it. <laughs> it sounds like he's saying, you know, just blindly trust. And that's, God does not ask people to blindly trust. That's kind of what I get from it, though. Because also also when he says, you know, and not rely on our own insights, that that means not not having a mind of your own. Like, why do you need, why do you need this something else to tell you what is morally right? Like, I haven't had religion my whole life. And hopefully, I think I'm moral person for the most part, you know, except I'm not, I'm not like questioning i'm in questioning i'm not like criticizing oh, but that's just the kind of things that i've i thought of sure sorry no i think i think what what i'm trying to yeah i don't really like the way that he says just sort of you know i don't know what i'm trying to say i i think we should i i don't know how to <laughs> okay well mm. but then also this conversation that i'm talking about is also occurring after he's killed joe right so this could also be pruitt like bev throughout the entire series like justifying this horrible thing that they're seeing and that they're participating in and that they're trying to get everybody else to do too yeah they're like from the very beginning yeah what they're doing without telling ironically you know they're saying you know trust not in your own understanding but that is exactly what they're doing because they're taking these scripture verses and they're twisting them to how they feel about them. They're not taking them in the context in which they were written or, you know, sort of accepted meaning of them. And they're twisting them to their own devices, which is done all the time. It's been done, you know, throughout history for, you know, ages, of course. And they're not questioning mm-hmm. The main thing that they're not questioning is the angel front thing. Exactly. Well, and which is not an angel at all. Of course not. And the th- <laughs> I don't and think. The, no, it's not an angel. It is a. No. Um, you know, it's a probably an ancient vampire that has been around for so long, and it's sort of fused with some sort of bat creature. You know that. You yeah. know. It's like Peter. Yeah. <laughs> From what we do in the shadows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But you know, there's a there's a scripture that uh, says. The devil himself masquerades as an angel of light. Okay. And mm-hmm. what Paul, the author of that, is saying in the context there is he's talking about false teachers. He's saying there's going to be people that come among you that are going to try and teach you a different gospel. They're going to try and drain the the real truth out of this and tell you stuff that uh, sounds good. Sounds like the truth, but isn't, and is ultimately going to but be. That's what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing, and they're listening to this angel of light, this you know devil in disguise, and it's not even that much of a disguise um, in this. In right. this, right? 
and they are th- which they justify by saying oh yeah in the bible everyone was like horrified yeah, when they saw angels they were scared at but first but the angels are always kind of creatures of light you know they're always there's Jesus constantly talks about gumming into the light. What is done in darkness will be brought into light. And what is this thing doing? It's bringing them all into darkness. Yeah. You know, it's, Where did he find it? He found it in he darkness. He found in the it cave. in darkness. He, uh, it, it sort of forces them all into the dark rather than into mm-hmm. the light. Because if they go into the light, they'll die. I mean, it's, right. it's so in a lot of ways. I mean, it's just like this false prophet, um, false preacher metaphor going on you know uh, throughout yeah. the whole thing bev has a thing at the end too when he's uh, when she's talking about how you, know, you can't cherry pick that what you believe in. it's like that's fucking exactly what, what you're doing. doing yeah that's literally exactly what you're doing with this you're justifying murder yep. killing people the people that deserve to live who you think deserve to live more than others yep. And how I just don't understand people like her. How do you not see that you're being entirely hypocritical right now? Well, you know, people who are not introspective will not see their own hypocrisies. I know. It's just frustrating. I know. I know it's frustrating. <laughs> Believe me, as a as a believer, mm-hmm. that is probably maybe even more frustrating to someone like me, you know, because, you know, this is not putting me uh, it's it's sort of this guilt by association thing sure, you know yeah. and it's like this is not me this is not uh, i believe jesus called people who believe in him to be and i don't get how they can't see that either I know. And it, it's infuriating in a lot of ways. We got we to gotta get to Bev soon. We, okay. we will get to but, Bev real quick here. But I, I think this this whole thing where, where Riley, you know, you'll give into the hunger to his glory. Um, but the more you do, the more you'll hear the voice of the angel. I mean, he's trying to put these things in, in Riley's mind. And Riley is out there. He sees this amazing, these amazing sights, you know. <gasps> that was one of my favorite that scenes. effect where the, uh, scene, ag- the again yeah, yeah again with the music too that whatever is playing um underneath after Pruitt lets him out of the rec center and he's just like walking yeah. around and like seeing things whatever that music is that's playing is so haunting mm-hmm. <laughs> it fits in perfectly with the visuals and, and he goes to see his parent you're I, I love the way flanagan kind of plays with what you think Riley is going to do this whole time, right up until the the last second. Yeah. I think that (laughs) that whole situation, because he's like, you remember how we used, because he goes to Aaron before all this, he tells this story and he says, remember how we used to get a boat and we would go out and just row out into the bay. Can we do that now? Well, and he, there's a shot of him standing over his parents' bed while they're sleeping. While they're sleeping. And then he goes after Aaron. And then he has a story. And then they come back and she's like, well, why did you? Yeah. Well, even before that, even before that, you know, he sees, uh, you know, Millie, you know, exiting Mm -hmm. the church. They show him standing in the background. And I got to watch that and see if when they do that, if you actually can see Riley in the in the background. I I've I've never. I don't think, so. I don't think the the angle goes turns yeah, the right, yeah. the other way. <laughs> but she said, you know, that is not my church. That is not the man I knew. I don't want you to ever come back here. You know, so you see that perspective, and then he goes to Aaron's house. They're out in the boat, and the way she says is so. You brought me out here where mm-hmm. there is nowhere <laughs> for me to go. 
and you tell me this. I was like, I was terrified. terrified. I was like, no. The first time I saw this, yeah. <laughs> they play. He plays this out so well because you see it in Pruitt and in him, like almost immediately after he turns that hunger. Yeah. That and you've seen it in other vampire stories, you know, oh, not yeah. being able to resist that hunger yeah. and you know well, he, attacking, he, killing he attacks- people that you love because of that he's going to attack Bev. he's been about to yeah and he can't control it he says i had thought too i i think i thought unless i'm remembering misremembering how the shot goes but that maybe he had killed his parents while they were sleeping you know yeah it's it's a little bit freaky you know because he's just standing over them yeah it's not until they're in the boat and she says that line that i'm still like scared but then you see the sun you see a little bit of you light coming in. Of like, light <gasps> and you go, no. Oh, yeah. And he's. No, and it's then, completely the opposite. And then he says that line, I brought you out here so I'd have nowhere to go. Oh, God. I, Niagara Chills. Falls. Hills. Yeah. Yeah. I started bawling. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. He's going to sacrifice himself <laughs> to prove that it's real to her. Yep. Like, oh, my God. Yep. And, 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 and nearer, <laughs> that kills me. nearer my God to thee starts playing again on the soundtrack. It does? Yeah. I wrote it down. I wrote it down. Most of the hymns that I recognized because I love the, my favorite thing they do is not even when they sing them. Cause I mean like abide with me is brought up when those are, those are nice, but my favorite ones are when they just play the melody softly on a piano and it's mm-hmm. only the melody. There's not even any, there's nothing else, just the melody of the hymn. To me, those are the most powerful moments musically. I liked when they use like, the more like upbeat, like our favorite, one of our favorite scenes is like the montage. What oh, that yeah, song? yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, I'm talking about the score. Uh, when they use the source yeah. music, uh, Holly Holy and, you know, the, the Neil, okay. the Neil Diamond <laughs> songs are awesome. I, there are three of them in it. I like the one that's like right at the beginning. Yeah. Too. Yeah. The one that they're playing right at the beginning that uh, I can't remember. Uh, Sule. Yeah. I can't remember that. the name of that song, but I was like, this is making me like religious like church music neil diamond's like, not religious music. sounds good <laughs> Re- neil neil diamond well that not the neil diamond songs thing, huh that's not religious no no not at all actually we're talking about holy stuff. yeah having sex with this woman is a religious experience <laughs> i never listened to neil diamond i don't know oh my gosh i love neil diamond yeah oh gosh yeah he he has he's sort of like Leonard Cohen, you know. Hallelujah is you know a song right. about you know getting laid, and right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's like it's like you know being in love with this person is a religious experience. That's that's what it is. Yeah, no, nice. Neil Diamond is not. I love those songs though. Those songs are great. Yeah, I love those songs too. So there's a yeah, there's a really good combination of like really like upbeat and yeah, that scene mm-hmm. where Ed and Annie are just dancing. dancing. Wow. I love that part. Oh god, they're so sweet. Yeah, and that whole montage is fantastic. Yeah, I love that. But then there's also like this really haunting music. That's a kind of creepy and like even some of the hymns like the whatever they sing when they're um they're walking mm-hmm, to the church mm-hmm. for, for easter, easter vigil, vigil yeah is like so creepy to me <laughs> yeah but then something like nearer my god to thee at the end is feels very beautiful when they when they sing it yeah so the, they all, the musical they all bring up different are, emotions it's crazy the musical choices i think are really um are really terrific. There's even a piece, uh, and I looked it up. It's not. I, I thought it was. It, it's it's like this dissonant uh, choral sound, you know, that like when they're becoming when they're 
all becoming the vampires, you know, in the church mm-hmm. during the Jonestown scene. And uh, it's at another point as well. I thought it was Atmospheres from, by Yorgi Ligeti or Luke Saterna, but it's not. It it's actually was written by the Newton brothers, but it sounds a lot like the piece that I know I'm going to bring it up. So prepare yourself. It sounds like the piece that Dave Bowman that plays when Dave Bowman flies into the Stargate in 2001. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I know you always tease me. About yeah, I know that. what you're talking about. I know, but, um, I even see 2001. so, so there's a, it's, it's just like this, um, this evolutionary callback. So anyway, I love what Aaron says to him in the boat too. when she says, uh, I'm not, not scared. Not of you. My dear, dear you. My dear, oh. dear you. Yeah. And then her, her scream when the sun comes up well the thing is it it it, it's it stops when he sees his you know he sees the girl that he killed and she's like time slows she's all healed and everything like that and it's playing near my god to thee quietly and he's and it's just sort of a peace that comes over it all and he, Mm -hmm. he takes her hand and they sort of rise to who knows what and then it cuts to his face burning you know and him yeah. igniting and her just screaming her screaming oh uh. man and here's the thing you know before before that happens he says i know what you're going to do i want you to run yeah. and and he says and she says but i know what you're going to do you're going to Go row back, back and try to save them row all row back and try and save them all because that's what you do and you know what as soon as she is sort of recovered from this all she sees the ashes there what does she do she does exactly what he says she was gonna do and that's aaron green i think that is one of the things that makes Mm -hmm. her so compelling she is willing to put herself in danger for people that she doesn't even necessarily like do you think that's why he chose her as the one who to show else this was to? he gonna go to yeah he wouldn't do that to his parents probably <laughs> you know and when he turned anyway we're, we're on Aaron. she goes to sarah and says this is tells the story and this is crazy and she says yes it's crazy then she lights the blood on fire in the sun but i already kind of had a suspicion that something weird was going on because your blood explodes in the sun yeah <laughs> Sarah was the perfect choice for her to go exactly. to. Because she's the skeptic. Mm-hmm. She has this devoted mother, you know, but she's the skeptic. You know, it's it's very, I love that dynamic. I think Sarah and Millie is a beautiful, yeah. it's a beautiful relationship. But the, the whole final sequence, you know, the, where at first they're going to just leave, you know, they're just going to get on the boat and go. Uh, but the bell has been sent out and Sturge says, no, not coming back. Then they're like, I guess we stay and fight. I mean, is it, what else can we do? Right. And they and then when they decide to go to the Easter vigil, she goes because, you know, she says, you know, people I know and love are going to be there, you know, and I don't know anything. But what does she think she's going to do? She's going to find out the truth is what she's going to find out. She knows the truth. That's true. Riley has shown her the truth. But she doesn't know entirely what Bev and uh, Pruitt are going to do, though. I don't think they could have predicted that. <laughs> Some One of my favorite moments in the whole thing is uh, where they are escaping out of the church, right? And oh. Bev's, <laughs> yeah. Bev stops him and says, it's like, <laughs> you know, you can shoot me, but, you know, I'd be after you in five minutes. Bang! We have five minutes. I yeah, love that love part. That. <laughs> 
it's so good. But I think Beverly, uh, not Beverly, uh, but Aaron also just has, she's, she's truly, you know, a heroic figure. I mean, she's talking about, you know, we are going to give our lives for people that we've never even met. I mean, we probably won't make it out of this alive, but we will have saved possibly millions, the world, (laughs) maybe billions of people by not letting this get out of here. You can kind of hear the hesitation in her voice when she says that, when she's like, uh, it's not about us anymore. It's about everybody else, people we've never met, (laughs) you know, no what did she say? Like no greater, no greater love, love than, than that. that or something. That's what the good book says, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. It, and it, that comes from verse where while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, why would anyone even give their uh, life for a good person? You know, <laughs> and then, you know, God demonstrates his love by laying down his life for us, even while we probably don't deserve it or know it or care or whatever, you know, that's the point of that verse, I think. That's when they're um, in the house kind of seeing what they're going to do. I like this moment with uh, Aaron and Annie, too, when uh, Aaron's, like, handing out all the weapons to everybody and saying, like, uh, this might not do much, but it's they'll buy you a few more minutes. I love what, what Annie says after that when she says, like, she never really understood that. It never made much sense to me. You know, we all say there's a heaven and it's waiting for us. Then we claw, fight, beg for a few more minutes at the end. And it's like, yeah. well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, again, it's uncertainties. You know, we don't, yeah. no one can really f- know. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a little called into question, like, when you're that close to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Is what she's talking about. Like, when you're if you're close to death and you, like, maybe this isn't true. Maybe what I've believed this whole time isn't true and I don't want to go just yet. <laughs> I want to stay yeah, here. I, think, you know, I understand that. Yeah, and I think there's a desire you know to love life you know and i think that's a good thing that's a good thing (laughs) though you know it's to want to stay yeah Yeah. to not accept your death so easily yeah do not go easily gentle do not go gentle in that good night right so these this last you know the last whole sequence with aaron is great i mean her literally clipping the wings of the angel after telling how were you how surprised were you at that though when the angel just freaking grabs, grabs her and starts her. i i did not expect her to not make it <laughs> i i don't think i did either you know and uh, i think it's it's funny you know she understands the angel's fixation upon drinking blood it, like once it starts it can't right. stop and so she's taking that moment to cut its wings and it doesn't even notice and we know that because in an earlier scene you know lisa has shot it in the neck and in the arm and it doesn't even notice because it's drinking someone's blood yeah um, or it doesn't phase them enough to care yeah to care to think that they're in real danger from this person because you you see it a couple of times when she's like cutting into his wings it's just like meh like stop that yeah <laughs> it's not understanding the full weight of its own mortality in this moment right it's probably been alive for a long time yeah that's right in a way i just think that might actually be a reference to nosferatu uh the 1922 version actually and the herzog version from 79 the vampire will 
and it's touched on in in uh, Shadow of the Vampire as well. Uh, you know, the yeah. it will forget the the daylight. You know, while it's drinking the blood of this woman, right? And so it will if a if a woman who is pure in heart can make him forget the the morning is coming. You know that I think there's that's actually a kind of sly reference to that there. Possibly. Yeah. I like that. And I hadn't thought about it till this second, which is why I was kind of <laughs> so incredibly inarticulate about it. I'm inarticulate every single time I open my mouth on this show. Come on. <laughs> Not true, but okay. Stop. So. <laughs> so then Aaron's second description yeah. of death. It's sort of, uh, sort of like a pantheistic sort of. I had to listen to it like four times before I could really kind of get any kind of grasp on what she was saying. Because yeah. like you said, it is kind of, it's very writery. Yeah. <laughs> the way that it's written, it's very, uh, like for every word, every mm. sentence is really carefully thought out. Yeah. So much so that I didn't really get it the first time. But it is, ultimately, I think what she's kind of talking about is just, it's abandoning your quote unquote self. Right in the current body that you're in now and returning to the world as energy because everything in the world is made up of energy in some way. And that's how we're all a part of everything together is that yeah. we're all basically made up of the same components. And that that's kind of, it's very, it's very much about like the cosmos and yeah, you know, like you were <laughs> talking about. So it's so to me, um, it's, it's like, it's attempting to be, not adhering to any kind of belief system, but it's kind of yes. adhering to pantheism and reincarnation. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. so it's like it's like it's trying so hard to not to, but it still does. There was a lot of reincarnation I got from it because yeah. if I was thinking, because I was thinking of it like as ener the energy, like leaving this current body and transferring mm -hmm. to something else. Because she says something about like doing this over again and again and again and again. Mm -hmm. That kind of made me think that just your energy is just being going from body to body to body, and just you're become you're a different self, not aware of your previous selves. Right. So I don't know if that's at all what she meant, but that's what I got from it. And yeah. I, in a way, I do kind of like this this description. Like like all of them, we said there's good and bad things about it, mm -hmm. or there's things that you can believe and things that you're kind of like, well, maybe not so much that. But I, I like I like that the thing about energy mm -hmm. and like just being a part of the world in that way and connecting and relating to other people sure. in that way that we're all basically the same at that core base molecular level, level. Yeah. <laughs> right which you know? i hadn't thought about it that way and i do like that this is actually the one i like the least if i'm being honest really yeah because as a person who believes in god i believe that god is infinitely creative and has created carefully caringly created individual human beings by the billions <laughs> you know and that uh, each one of them matters to him. So if there is no self, that means there is no individual. There is no, your personality doesn't really matter. You know, who you are doesn't really matter. And I, I, I that's the part I didn't really, I, like. yeah. I bristle against that, to be honest. So this is the one that I, that I'm like, this is the one that's probably farthest from what I believe it's, which is ironic because I actually probably think that Riley's more onto something than this. So take that for what you will. I, I, it's just, <laughs> it's just my personal reaction to it. But I, but as I thought about it, cause I, 
because I watched this right before I headed to church for a rehearsal and I was just mulling <laughs> it over in my head. It's going, man, I really, that last one just kind of, it doesn't do it for me. And then I really, you know, it's because he's presenting just these different ways of looking at it. That's, that's all it is. It's not like this is the mm-hmm. definitive one. I think where it feels so definitive because it's the last one, right. you know, and I don't think yeah. that's the intention, but it kind of comes across, it kind of comes across in the whole piece as sort of like, this is the answer. This is the definitive version yeah. of it. And I don't think that's what Flanagan's saying. You yeah. Know? That's why I didn't like it at first yeah. mm-hmm. either. Cause I was like, when they brought it back, because while well, she's laying there dying, they kind of bring it back to her and Riley on the couch, like having the conversation in a different way. It does feel like they're he wants to reframe that, like, we're going to redo this and we're going to do it the right way. And this is what the right answer is. Right. But <laughs> that's kind of how think I felt really, the first and second time, yeah, honestly. I was, that's how I was kind of reading it. And I hope that's not what he was trying to do, because I don't I don't think that's really right. Because so I really when I saw that's what he was doing, I, I really listened to this one mm-hmm. and really tried to understand. And then it was just like this thing I couldn't comprehend the first couple of times I watched it because it was it was too much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. Like not really liking the rejection of individuality and self like she's talking about at the beginning of this. Yeah, I mean, but I think maybe she's talking about it as that's just what happens when you die. When you die, your your self goes away, leaves. Whether it's a soul or yeah. whatever, like your personality is not there anymore. But, you know, and I believe she's talking that, about what happens afterwards. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> for me, I believe that the self continues. I believe yeah. that, you know, the the person that God made continues, that we go on, if you want to quote another Mike Flanagan movie, which we'll talk about next time. Hint, hint. But so what? so that's that's where I am with it a little bit, you know, is is this idea that, yes, we continue. What that looks like is one of the greater mysteries, you know, but I do believe that there is a one-to-one continuation if you will that human the essence of what makes me me will exist on in whatever form that is i kind of don't believe that though okay <laughs> downer as that is i kind of yeah i don't really see it that way okay yeah that w- <laughs> i wish i could fine. but i don't you know okay. that's a nice way of looking at it but just just kind of think when you die you're you're gone yeah <laughs> so uh, it sounds like riley's is the one that is the one that you connect with the most right yeah yeah and maybe a combination mm-hmm. of riley's and aaron's second, second one, one. Mm-hmm. i don't really know for sure i didn't i didn't think about really what no one really does <laughs> right oh, i mean i don't really know for sure what i think because i didn't oh, okay. think about it too much i was yeah. i was thinking about like what i think in relation to what they say where it's mm-hmm. I, definitely not aaron's first one i don't think a combination of those second two yeah so it's all uh, these are obviously the deep questions of humanity and existence. I mean, and we're not going to sure. we are not going no. to answer <laughs> them gonna... uh, in the course of our <laughs> podcast today. So uh, if no. you were expecting that, um, <laughs> sorry to disappoint you. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> uh, you know, there are a lot of people that have tried and I don't think anyone's gotten it yet. You know, so not even the show does it. As great as we are, <laughs> as awesome as we are. No, this Midnight, oh, Midnight Mass. Mass. <laughs> and as awesome as Midnight Mass is. That's what I like about the whole show in general is that he presents 
all of the questions, all these different sides, doesn't give a single answer to any of them. Mm. Not a definitive answer, you know, because there isn't one. Right, right. And I think that's the strength of the show is that it presents the questions and gives a few possible answers, but doesn't say this is the one. Uh, it's the same sorts of long ponderances that have been going on for millennia, right? Okay. So then after she clips the angel's wings, this is something I hadn't thought of until the last time I watched it was, okay, what do you think happens to the angel? Here's what I uh, felt, uh, even from the first time. My feeling was, because, okay, maybe I'm going from old vampire lore when I'm, when I'm thinking this. Mm-hmm. Sort of like you kill the head vampire, all of its uh, power that it had over other people goes away. Mm-hmm. That old idea. So that's what I was thinking when Lisa says in the boat at the end with Warren, when she says, I can't feel my legs, because it's, it's pretty instantaneous. I mean, it just kind of suddenly happens. I mean, she's walking and now she's not anymore, you know, and now she suddenly can't feel her legs. That made me assume that the the vampire burns, that it, that it dies. It doesn't make it to the mainland and it goes down. And that it's like the power of its blood is no longer potent and it, and yeah. and so she returned to the the state of before she had uh, the blood. So that was my sort of assumption, and that's sort of the way I've taken it every time. Because she kind of smiles after that. She gives a a little sort of laugh. You know, I can't feel my le- legs. It's not like sad or anything. It's just like I, it's just a fact, you know. And it's yeah. almost a sense of relief. You know, it's like this is what I know, and I wasn't. <laughs> she uh, fine with it is not the word <laughs> you know then, <laughs> but she was she had accepted that this was you know her you know that this is just part of what makes her who she is and what has helped what has made her brought her to where she is and that's an interesting conversation you know that um Pruitt and Lisa have early on it's like you know she asked where were you before this and he says well I was been in lots of places and you know everything I have done up to this point brought me here and it's the same with you you know and she says but I've never left the island but yeah but a lot of things have happened that brought you to where you are walking on the street with me right now and, and so I think there's an element of that in that moment to me. It's sort of almost like a restoring to who she is, which is interesting because, you know, that is, would say, you know, one of our questions we got was, you know, the depiction of, of disabilities. And that's a tough question. I don't know how to answer yeah. it entirely. I'll be, I'll I be honest, either. Nicole, if you're listening, we, we don't feel particularly qualified to answer that question, but it's an interesting thought and but that's my feeling that in that last moment, it's sort of this idea that, okay, the, the power, the power of the angel, of the is, angel gone. is gone. Okay. To be honest, I hadn't even thought of this question before I, I read an article um, where Mike Flanagan kind of addressed that. And I don't know if I'm going to get this right, but since they, he doesn't actually show what happens to the angel, you only see it right. kind of just like flying, flying off, mm-hmm. headed towards the mainland. He said he specifically left it open-ended of uh, what actually happened to it because it, it was a representation of the kind of uh, fanaticism and um, yeah. doesn't actually ever go away. It's just going to... It's just going to go on and be another person, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to go on. It's going to do the same thing to somebody else in some other town. It's just it never actually dies fully. It'll come back 
within a, a different group, different setting. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, damn. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a bleak way of looking at it. But, but it's realistic. Yeah. <laughs> too. But it's real. Yeah. Can we talk about Bev? Yeah. Now? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So we've we've mentioned a few things. I mean, she's just so angry <laughs> all the time. <laughs> she's so condescending. I mean, she looks at everyone God. with such disdain. Yes. Now, honestly, I didn't take a lot of notes in the early part about Bev in the first couple of episodes because she's sort of just kind of, she's like a mosquito in the early parts. <laughs> she's just annoying. She is. You know, she's condescending and... Uh, she's judgmental and all the things that she's like even towards dogs yeah i mean they they never say that she kills the dog but she pretty she absolutely obviously that she killed the dog (laughs) it was the same the skirt and shoes that showed that were bending down with the dog giving the dog the hot dog Mm -hmm. that's totally what bev was wearing (laughs) so it was definitely her yeah it's the fact that she idolizes or she has such fond feelings toward uh, Aaron's mother and, you know, she she reveres Monsignor Pruitt, I think solely because he's the religious leader, not because of who he actually is. She proves throughout the show that the only people that she really cares about are other good Christians, quote unquote, like her. Yep. They're the only ones who think who she thinks deserves to live at the end. Yep. Everybody else deserved it for not believing. Uh huh. And that's where I was like, oh, okay, so you're even bigger bitch than I thought you were. Yeah, she's okay. awful. <laughs> yeah, she is. Um, if you weren't, it's not. I mean, it's, this is rejection of the people who. I mean, there's sort of two ways of looking at this because I mean, the people like Howard Hobbs at the end. You could look at that as almost like a prodigal son moment. Hey, look, we brought him into our community. He's part of us. He's with us. And and Bev says, no, he doesn't belong here because he hasn't been here the whole time. Yeah. You know, uh, for that's one way. You know, I mean, obviously it's vampires. So, you know, it's not great that he's brought into the community anyway because they're vampires. But, <laughs> but you know, I you know what I mean? It's There's sort of a yes. multi-layered version of this so the honestly the first big notes that i had were where she gets weighed and sturge to clean up joe's body she keeps referring to him as it take it out into the bay and dump it and wade you know who's pretty blinded by all this stuff to be honest sort of willfully before that he was too. yeah he's just sort of willfully blinded himself he says but that's joe Colley. you know he actually says his name at least <laughs> his record that's a human recognizes being. that it's a human being and he said she says this man was a scourge a sinner a lech uh, a maimer of a children a maimer of children yeah all the people that Jesus would be hanging out with, <laughs> and and, and right. that's what I'm trying what I'm trying saying. to minister to. You know, that's what I'm saying. That's like, shouldn't that be the one you, if you believe what you're saying, shouldn't that be the kind of person you want to reach out to yeah. to teach the ways that you think you know to <laughs> to help them? Yeah. Like you, why do you have no? She has no interest in helping anybody no. who isn't already there to begin yep. with. And what's the point? <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I mean, if they're already there, what's the right? And I that's in sharp contrast to uh, what Pruitt says to Riley at the beginning. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, yeah, Jesus didn't have he much use. Exactly You're not much use to me if you are in a state of grace. <laughs> or I'm not much use. Yeah. He says something more like, I'm not much use to you if I'm if you are in a state of grace, yeah. you know. So I, I think that's really interesting. And I even wrote down in there, I went. It's like, ugh, the Bible verse cherry picking, ugh. And then later <laughs> she says, she says, do not cherry pick the glories of God. And I just wrote in massive letters, hypocrite would be the word Jesus is, would have for her. <laughs> is literally exactly what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, she's she's always giving out this advice that she should be taking herself. Like when she mm-hmm. tells Annie, take the plank out of your eye and just like. I do not think that means what you think it means. <laughs> what the, what is that? What is that story? Okay, so I don't know that. it's um, if you see a speck in your brother's eye, remove the plank, you know, the bigger sin from your own eye so uh-huh. you can remove the, so you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's, that's what the verse is. Don't be a hypocrite. You know, don't don't have this big old log sticking out of your eye if you're just trying to try and get a speck out of someone else's. It's you know, obviously it's a it's a pretty cool image, honestly. So recognize your own sin before you say it say the other person someone else yep. has it or something. Yep. I can't say that right. Yep. I can't say it right, but you know and what he's I mean. essentially saying, you know, he's essentially saying your own sin is worse than somebody else's. <laughs> You know, so have a little bit of self-awareness, you know, and, and, you know, I've, I've written down a couple of things here, you know, like with Sturge, we've talked about this a little, I think he's so afraid of her, you know, Well, how could you not be? She is, she's terrifying. She's annoying, but she's also scary because she is so, she believes in what she believes so much and that she will not look at any other side. Someone that you can't really, you can't reason with. Yeah. That's scary. It's totally. And that's. That sucks. She's not someone I think that could ever change. The people that have actually done horrible things, Riley, Joe, they have way more of a chance at change and becoming an actual good person, which she is not, than she does, than someone supposedly so much better than them because she doesn't have that self-awareness. She doesn't have the sense to recognize her own mistakes her own sins. right and that some of the things that are really ironic is by the is it. by the end you know it's her fault that they have nowhere to go she's the one mm-hmm. who starts burning down all the houses she's the one that says burn it all well it's again and she's she's destroyed by her own misunderstanding of scripture because she or her own twisting of scripture oh the bible says that a third of the earth was burned let's burn it let's do it and it's like you Mm -hmm. idiot (laughs) you know it's it's (laughs) just showing she's just betraying her own lack of knowledge of understanding i mean she hasn't she has the knowledge of all these scripture verses and stuff but she doesn't know what they mean she doesn't understand them it seems like she takes them very literally extremely literally in a way that which is not the right way you're supposed to do no, it I, don't think. It's, <laughs> I didn't i never thought that's how you're supposed to take any of those verses you know because yeah. it's they're metaphorical too there's a lot of metaphor <laughs> yeah. in that is used and there's just sort of this lost art of being able to understand like prophetic language is very challenging to understand I and mean, it's very uh i don't get it all 
Um, I'm not going to claim to, but I think I, I see these preachers that just like, I understand what everything means. It's just like, I don't believe you. Anyway, I, I get in, I get a, a little bit fiery when I talk about Beverly Keene here. And, you know, she's the one who, she's, she sets it all in motion. I mean, she's the one who suggests to Pruitt that they share the miracle at Easter Vigil. I'm sure that Pruitt, if he's hearing the voice of the angel, the angel's like, yeah, <laughs> do it, man, do it. And then when everyone, when all this, this whole bloodbath has happened, you know, um, Pruitt's not able to stop it because he's been shot. That's the part that kind of took me a second. It's like, okay, they, because that their whole plan for what they were going to do for Easter Vigil doesn't seem like they it didn't thought go about to it plan. very well. It's like it didn't exactly go to plan. Okay, because they didn't. Uh, I guess they had thought that they would be able to. I don't know because Pruitt was able to. But then he doesn't. He doesn't handle it any better because he feeds off of Joe. Yeah, you know, he thinks that they. And he the two of them think it. that they. Yeah, that they can control their appetites like right after they've woken up mm-hmm. when they know that not everybody is going to turn right away because not everybody has been at church yeah. taking communion this whole time and having a little bit of that angel's blood in them already. Yeah. They should have absolutely should have predicted that it was going to be a massacre. Yeah. But this is where Beverly pisses me off, though, because she's fine with that. Exactly. She says it happened as it was meant to. Those who have been coming to church have nothing to fear. Let God sort out the rest. What the fuck is that about? Exactly. (laughs) So you're fine with all the... Where where is the love? Where is God's love in you saying that it's fine that all these innocent people are going to die? And that they're just going to be... Or that they're just going to be your food? She says that about uh, the sheriff when, yep. they, when um, they're like, take the sheriff outside because we're going to need food later. Uh-huh. What is that about? I know. It, it's, like, my God. Which, just... I, which, yes, she's talking about vampirism, but it's, she's also talking about her belief in that her way is the only right way mm-hmm. and that anybody else doesn't really deserve the glories that she thinks that she's entitled to. Well, she has this horrible, uh, she just is... Completely unable to admit she's wrong ever. You know, she ever. she will not, even when it is, the evidence is in her face, she will find something to justify it. And, you know, it's ironic you know, they, that they have, you know, this midnight mass on Easter. Uh, again, it's the, the setting of the darkness, right? Whereas the whole, one of the symbols of Easter is mourning. You know, that's generally why churches takes place in the morning is because it, it's a remembrance of Easter morning. Christ rose early in the morning, the rising of the light, the appearance of the light, the reappearance of the light, if you will. That's all part of the symbology of it all is the light. And so for it to be in darkness is just like this. Uh, it's just the complete, again, antithesis of what the you know, the, the beliefs that Pruitt was raised on and taught for, you know, however many years he taught them, uh, is, you know, so he's been you know, sort of fooled by this whole false prophecy situation himself, this whole false teacher yeah. himself, you know. Okay. So when it comes to Bev, my favorite scene is when Annie confronts her. Now, Annie walks out with the knife and lets, and the, so the other 
the rest of the folks can escape, right? Uh, out the back. Well, because Bev, yeah, Bev and Sturge are outside and Bev is calling for Aaron. Yeah. And Annie says, <laughs> I like her line. She says something like, I she says, I got some stuff to say to Bev or something. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. That, this I is going to be Annie's moment. I, 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 I have some things to talk about with Bev, essentially. Yeah. But I mean, she goes, Bev, I want you to listen to me. Because your whole life, I think you've needed to hear this. You're not a good person. God doesn't love you more than anyone else. Then she says, well, Riley is a product of your parenting. And she says, yes, he is. Every part of him. Annie interrupts her when she's saying that. She knows she's like kind of not only disparaging her, but her son. She's like, yeah. And you know what? God still loves him. And she says, you're not a hero and you're certainly not a victim. Mm -mm. But then, so God loves Riley just as he much, just as much as he loves you, Bev. Why does that bother you so much? That God loves everybody? Yeah. I I think that is just beautifully stated. That's what it all comes down to Mm -hmm. with Bev, really. Yeah. She hates that God. And, you know, and also that um, when Riley is quote unquote chosen, by the angel so she is so pissed off about that pissed off yeah yes, she, she is, is incredibly <laughs> jealous and because it's annie she's really just talking about riley in the same she could go on she's like why does it make you mad that god loves riley aaron yeah. joe as much as he loves you anybody that exactly. bev has shown disdain for this whole this whole series like yeah why does that make you so mad because you think you've done everything the right way or whatever because you haven't done anything wrong you've been devout you've been perfect this whole time apparently that doesn't matter yeah and And it shouldn't it it shouldn't and so i i find that scene to be incredibly powerful and you know she of course annie knows that she's going to come back after she cuts herself too you know, mm-hmm. she knows that she's seen this happen. And so I think so what she's doing here is because she doesn't want to be one of them. She, I think she wants to see Ed again. She wants though, to see one last yes. time. Yeah, I think so, too. But when she stabs herself in the neck, it's to distract, distract them, to Sturgeon and and, yeah. and uh, Beth. Because she, she knows that the fixation, they're going to want to feed. Blood, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that and that's an interesting line earlier too, where uh, Riley says, "So when that thing was on me and, and writhing, and I was writhing on the floor, did you feed too?" And uh, I didn't really realize it that he says, "Yes, I did." Yeah. I was like, "Oh, jeez." Yeah. <laughs> so, oh man, there's so much going on in this show. I think we're gonna have to split this into two parts because this is gonna be. <laughs> we're already record going on four hours here. Is that all? <laughs> the thing about Bev, though, uh, she really pisses me off at the end. Mm-hmm. Like I said, with what she says about who she thinks deserves to live. Uh, but even before anything happens, one of my favorite scenes in the series is um, when the sheriff finds the Bible in his son's mm-hmm. backpack. Yeah. And then there's a great scene where they have, they're having like a discussion about it in the classroom. Yeah. Know, it's just, it's a lot <laughs> It is to get into, but her in that scene is so, you can see how it's so, I love the little looks that Aaron and the sheriff exchange yeah. because she cuts Aaron off every single time she tries to say something. Mm-hmm. She shows her, I'm talking about Bev here, she shows her ignorance 
of other religions when the sheriff tries to explain he's like um actually we believe in jesus too (laughs) it's just not the same as you she obviously didn't even know that you know she only just saw it as uh, an evil thing whatever that racism and you know against muslims she obviously has that (laughs) oh yeah because she calls calls him a terrorist calls him a terrorist at the end yeah (laughs) but then you can also see the way that because she just keeps going and going and going like um she c- says at one point because the thing the issue is is that they're handing out bibles and she's reading scripture in and class it's a public school and it's a public school and she says at one point uh just because if i i read a nice passage every now and then i'm not evangelizing when that's exactly what she's doing at that moment mm-hmm. when she won't let anybody else talk yeah. and you can see especially um this is where i got a little bit of like against wade yes. and dolly yeah. You can see the looks on their faces where they're like kind of scoffing at what the sheriff is saying and they're listening to Bev. And I was like, damn, like you can, but you can see how that kind of stuff can work on people. How just the the way that she says, she's very convincing in Mm -hmm. what she says, you know, because she's talking about there's a full blown, you know, religious revival going on on this island and we need to uh, accept that. We need to talk about that. We need to give that, give the kids a place to talk about it. And they're like, but this is a public school. You know, it's interesting too. There's so there's so much going on in that. Well, what scene. she's doing is she's mixing a little bit of truth in with this yeah. big old steaming pile of bullshit. That yeah, uh, because obviously this is going to be a conversation among the kids. I mean, one of their friends mm-hmm. who hasn't walked in many years is walking. You know, they see it as a miracle, which in a sense it is. You know, in in, mm-hmm. in the in the course of the show. It's just sort of uh, that little element of of mixing mixing truth in with just misinformation, if not outright lies. Because I mean, she doesn't know. <laughs> she, I don't think a, a lie is sort of a consciously telling an untruth, and I don't think that Bev is consciously telling untruth. She's just completely ignorant <laughs> about so yeah, everything. She is. You know, she's still so smug in her it, ignorance, exactly. though. When because when the sheriff is explaining like okay actually we're actually not that s- dissimilar when he's trying to explain like, like well, what I they don't believe know about in that uh, yeah. yeah everything back that she says back to him is like well that's very nice of you mm-hmm. I, I don't think you know about Jesus as much as I do you know right. everything it's like you don't know yeah and you know I <laughs> you mean you're so you're so tunnel focused on what you believe why yeah. can't you and that's the let thing. in other <laughs> beliefs just. Yeah, I think the different forms of religious expression are interesting too. you know, having I mean, obviously, the most of what we see is the Catholic, but there were Islamic theological consultants on the movie, you know, to make sure that what was being discussed. And I think there probably I'm sure there was a Catholic one, too, you know, that what was being discussed was true to and respectful to mm-hmm. these different belief systems. So I think that is uh, something that is to be commended. You know, it's it's not... Yeah, uh, yeah I, I really like that. And, you know, it's like, Bev, if you would just listen and have a conversation, this would be a much more productive meeting. And, you know, I love how he kind of lets her make his point. Exactly. <laughs> it's very smart. When she says, this isn't the place to be discussing you know, our differences in religious beliefs. Exactly. And he's like, exactly. Ah. Yeah. I, I just Duh. love the way that plays out. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's, 
It's a good, yeah, it's a great scene. It really is. But then kind of going off of that, I also like how they show, um, the sheriff is not exactly perfect himself in that way either because of um, his relationship to his son Ali. Mm -hmm. Because Ali has a very, very good point that he makes to his father. He says, I didn't choose to be a Muslim. Because when he's expressing interest in wanting to go to church, he says, I didn't choose to be a Muslim. Like, you didn't let me make that choice for myself. And now I'm... I'm wanting to make a different decision for myself. Why won't you let me do that? You should. I should be allowed to do that. <laughs> it's like, that's a good point. Yeah, and I, I thought that, but then he says, but you're not a Christian. And it's like, and uh, he says, that wasn't up to me, was it? <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. then he talks about Lisa and, you know, it was a miracle. He says, you know, that's not how God works. And he's, it's all very personal though. It's again, yeah. it's that personal pain. It's that personal lens that says, you know, if God let her walk, and my wife died. You know, again, it's that personal pain, that personal resentment, which I I get it. I understand. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to say anything yet, but I think it's just being willing to admit that, yes, you know, some of the reason why I feel this way is because <laughs> of my own self, you know, it's, and I, I think yeah. that's, that's, you know, true also of me, um, I know that I, uh, my belief is subjective. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that. I mean, it's because of things that I have experienced and learned and know and know myself. And so I'm seeing it through this lens, too. So I can't claim that I believe that what I believe is true, but I can't say that definitively, yeah. you know? I can't prove, like you said at the beginning, that there is or isn't a God. There isn't. You know, I mean, this is just, it's not possible. But And again, with that conversation, you get both sides Mm -hmm. of the argument or you get where the disbelief and the distrust comes from. Like, why why does this person get to be healed? Why does this person die? Where's the choosing coming from? Like, what did this person do wrong Mm -hmm. to not be chosen by God (laughs) to be healed? Right. And that's where you can see his kind of, the sheriff's hesitancy to let him join the church because I think he thinks, I don't know if he thinks that he's going to be taught the wrong things or that he's going to be taught something that that the sheriff doesn't, can't believe and is not admitting to himself that he has, that he does have very personal reasons for thinking the way he's thinking at mm-hmm. in this moment because yeah. he's very angry about what happened personally, you know, to his wife. He, yeah, he is. <laughs> um, you know, he really only became, came devout because of his wife largely yeah so and he says as much as i recall oh yeah ali says that to him he says like you didn't even like he wasn't even a muslim he he converted for her because of his wife yeah yeah and and i i like this line though where he says i will not tell my son not to look for god he says but we already have him you know mm-hmm. and there's a sense of wanting to raise your children in the belief system that you have. It's the same thing with Ed. Yeah. It's the feeling of re- he's feeling rejected yeah. by his son. That's right. That's it. Yeah, that's very much it. I think for a religious believer, if your children don't go, don't continue that, it, it, I think there's some sense of feeling like you've failed in your own children, you know, in, in yeah. par- it's a failure of your own parenting and in conveying your belief to your children. Yeah, I mean, also ultimately, it's up to them, though. It should be. It is, yeah. That's right. But I understand that what he's feeling there, too. Man, there's just so much in this. 
<laughs> you want to just kind of hit a few like favorite scenes maybe along the way here? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I am anymore. Okay. Because, I, I mean, we've kind of discussed all of the characters we set out to discuss fairly in depth. But, you know, one of my favorite sequences we already mentioned was Ed and Annie dancing to Holly Holy. Um, yeah. You know, in that whole montage is so wonderful because it's just this joy. It's for the most part, there's a couple of things that are a little bit not as much, but you know, like Lisa coming to Warren's window, which is the Salem's lot, right? I think Riley, it's gotta be right. Yeah. Uh, Riley going out to meet Aaron, the whole town sort of coming to church, those montages and the sense of people, a whole town kind of healing after all this sort of darkness and gloom they've experienced since the oil disaster a few years before and the poverty they're experiencing and the financial desperation they're they're feeling and you know you see Millie climbing the stairs you see Riley making his list for step four <laughs> and you know all these things you know it's like yep. this process of of restoration and you know, and Hassan and Joe having coffee in the morning together inside the br- prison cell, yeah. which is in the general store. I love that whole thing. That's one of my favorite elements. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit Andy Griffith. The sheriff's, but, you know, the sheriff's office is in the back of the general store. It's so yeah, cute. I, I just, I think <laughs> that that scene is so great because it's just so, it's just so kind of joyous, and I and I really, it's one of the big v- fan of that feud. It's one of the few kind of really joyous moments in the whole series, really. Yeah, that, that's just sort of completely unencumbered by by mm-hmm. sadness, and I think that's wonderfully done. And you know, even though underneath it all, you know what's really going on the whole time after you watched it. <laughs> You know what's going on when they're taking communion yeah. at every one of those services that more and more people keep showing up to. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not thinking about that in the moment. So. No. no. It's it just kind of enjoying what's happening. And yeah. I also really like after Annie has revived and she's just kind of wandering through the town and she meets up with Ed again. Oh, yeah. This is your favorite scene. Yeah. I don't know if it's my favorite, but it, gosh, I, it, sure, it sure did speak to me because... They're talking about how there's this, they're feeling the hunger, they're looking around them, they're seeing Mm -hmm. all these people, their church family, you know, that... People that they've known all their lives. Yeah, that are just doing these horrible acts. They're killing people, they're invading homes and dragging people out in the streets and drinking their blood and uh, it's horrifying And, and they're just, she says, I'm so hungry and he says... I know, I, I am too. And the song again that's playing it, Be Still My Soul, the same one that was playing when Joe and Riley were talking after the AA meeting. Feeling the hunger, you know, feel, because the, mm-hmm. the hunger of... A different kind of yeah, hunger. Yeah, the, okay. the hunger of, of alcoholism is not going to completely go away, you know, no matter how long they're away from this, you know. But... So it's the same thing. They're talking about addiction. They're talking about um, the same kinds of things. And and she says, they're all doing this. Did you? No, I, I didn't. At first, I thought it was something they couldn't control. But you don't have to. I feel it. I'm starving. But whatever this is, don't change who you are. I, I think that scene is just so beautiful. Yeah. Just because, I mean, it, it's like the science that, that, yes, there are these people 
who are who are maybe part of the church and but are not doing that who are not being hateful and destructive and hypocritical and who are being what I feel Jesus called them to be, you know, uh, that's, that's what I see in this scene. I think that's why it sort of struck me right from the beginning. That was like, okay, after seeing that scene, I was like, okay, I need to write about this show somehow. Uh, cause something about it, even though it's so brief, I almost wish there was more of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so powerful and moving to me. I see it as they could be talking about addiction to alcoholism, yep. but I can also see it as again, relating to the, the religious thing of like, you can to not let yourself get swayed by those people like Bev. Yeah, exactly. Or that, like any yeah. other, any other religious leader that tries to make you stray away from what the teachings really should be what they really mean to you yeah. and to not let it change yeah not let it change who you are not let it change i don't know i didn't really think about this before so i don't know what i'm saying no i think you're you're articulating what i <laughs> what i was trying to say um you know not being swayed by the tide around you mm. you know instead holding fast to what you know to be true yeah what, if you will not listening to the lies yeah, that's all these religious liter- leaders that, cause, and it's not just in big institutions. I've read so many stories about like such insular like religious cults, like yes. within f- just individual families uh-huh. and stuff like that, where it's all about these people following one person. Yep, and Westboro, the for example, or yeah, or Westboro, even. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just like Marcus Weston is another name uh-huh. that I know of uh, just a family that he had just total control over. And it's the same yeah. thing that Pruitt was saying at the end, like that it's not about the one person. It's about God and what he teaches. And that's what it should be about. And I don't know how I don't, I don't know what I'm saying. No, that's really good. I mean, that's I, I think you said it, <laughs> said it well. Um, that's where I. If I saw more of that in the people again that I know. claim to believe that I could I could maybe have more respect for it but as an institution as with many institutions you know there are it's made up of people yeah. and people are not infallible and they they do bad things Absolutely <laughs> so yeah. and and I think the ones that are willing to admit it that are willing to self examine yeah. are the ones that can make a bigger impact it can really maybe someday even turn the tide i I don't know like literally just practice what you preach yeah if you're gonna say that god loves everybody then show that Mm -hmm. don't exclude homosexuals or (laughs) trans people or anything like that like what that that's not what you're is that what you're claiming to believe that's right it's uh that's where i get angry (laughs) yeah i i'm i'm with you it's just that again it's that self examination and saying, you know, who, who, who is it that Jesus calls you to the people that, I mean, doesn't the, I mean, Jesus himself said, you know, I, the, it's not, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, <laughs> you know, and I'm, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's people who, you know, again, that's coming back to what Pruitt says to Riley. It's like, I'm, I'm just not much used to anyone who's in a state of grace, <laughs> you know, so yeah. to speak, you know, I, and, and it's, again, you know, what I tried to articulate is, you know, the more, the older I get, the longer I've believed it's been somehow, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in this and that. And it's like, you know, it, 
ultimately it comes down to love the true meaning of that word you know it's a lot of times i think reduced to something less than it really is but i think this film does a good job of depicting the various aspects of what that really means it should be selfless non-judgmental love and it so often is not (laughs) that's right i mean the love chapter says you know love is patient kind it keeps no record of wrongs it is not jealous does not boast you know these this love is i mean you've probably heard it at weddings right Um, so it's it's that chapter and so just that the essence is you know just simply love your neighbor is the essence of living the christian life okay it says you know love the lord your god love your neighbor as yourself that is what jesus boiled everything down to is those two things he said everything else hangs on that so if you're not doing that you're not doing this (laughs) you know and bev is not doing that bev is not doing that (laughs) When she thinks that she's better than everybody else. Yeah. And and that's why, you know, Bev is a character that I wish didn't exist in the world, but does. Yeah. But I like to think that I like to, I I hold out hope that there will be more Annie's in the world and fewer Bev's, (laughs) but it always seems like the Bev's are so much louder and so much more obnoxious and get so much more attention than the Annie's and the Aaron's. And the Eds, and you know, even the the Millies, and yeah. even at his best, you know, the Father Pauls, you know, or, or the Monsignor Pruitts, you know, when he's at his best, because <laughs> there's obviously a point yeah. in this where he's not. Bev just really makes me. <laughs> the more I think about her, yeah. just yeah, cannot. You know, here's the thing: at the ending, okay, when Sturge, because she literally kills people at I the end. I know she does. I know she does. She shoots she the sheriff, shoots the sheriff twice. twice. Yes. She says it's fine that all these other people are dying. You know, so a couple of things. Sturge, when he turns Howard, he says, you know, I saved him, Bev. He was always nice to me. It's like, well, he doesn't belong here and all that. And I, I, I like the, you know, the, when um, Sheriff Hassan says, you know, there's this verse that's always stuck with me, Bev. And this is it. He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. And the good. And, yeah. you know, and Ali is the one who throws the throws the lighter yep. into the rec center, I think, is oh, no, a I'll... great scene. <laughs> when she first shoots him, she shoots him in the leg, leg at first. Yeah. And he says something and he says something about like you can smell the blood or whatever. Mm-hmm. And what does she say? Dirty, dirty blood. blood and i love i love his his reaction is just like seriously <laughs> wow I now i know you're still on about that yeah. it's ridiculous <laughs> after everything yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, she's showing her colors there that she's a racist yeah i mean she's just she basically is just saying you're that she's a racist oh and, totally you know she hasn't yeah she hasn't and, said it overtly up till then well, she calls him a terrorist yeah. but she's also again being hypocritical like saying to him like i'm surprised that you didn't like wait till we were inside like so you could kill us all it's like that's exactly what you did to the people in the church yeah you shut them up in the church mm-hmm. said to cl- keep keep the doors closed because she knew that some of those people weren't going to make it because they hadn't been to church and been taking communion that they were just going to be food yep. to the other people mm-hmm. she knew exactly what that that's that's what was going to happen. Yeah. And yeah, she's criticizing the sheriff for wanting to kill them. 
<laughs> so I I think okay. So after Aaron's <laughs> sorry, that's <laughs> just like no. The more yeah, when I good. just we're thinking about it, it's like Meh. I think okay. So what I want to say is the nearer my God to the scene at the end. Uh, yes. Again, this is. This is just what a way to end this thing, I tell you. Near My God to Thee, of course, the hymn that was supposedly played by the string quartet on the Titanic as it was going down, uh, bringing <laughs> us back to boats. I think I think it's deliberate for a lot of reasons. I mean, I think it has special meaning. It's a beautiful song. This is the American version of the song. There's a different melody, uh, usually sung in uh, in England, in the Anglican church. So this is the American version of the tune. But uh, I like this. It's like beautiful. It's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful sounding. And I think that I, 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 my favorite part, you know, just Sturge, the, as they start sort of wandering off from Bev, they just sort of turn mm-hmm. their backs on her and Sturge. Whenever every building has been burned every burning, and they have nowhere to go and they, they know that they're, they're going to die. They're just immediately abandon her. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And Uker, the altar boy. So, yeah, I don't know, but I, I love think, the, the conversation that he has with Sturge. I love I, this I really, part too. It's yeah. like beautiful. I, it, it's simple. It's beautiful though. I mean, I think I killed my mom. I don't know. <laughs> and Sturge says, like, I've done some bad things tonight, too. Yeah. And then they say that they forgive each other, you know? Yeah. I like and that. And then he and he said, and he and Uker kind of start walking, and he, and he says, Howard, come with us, too. Because in their mm-hmm. final moments, they won't be alone again. I mean, this is this is the only one who's alone in this whole thing is Bev. She's the only one that dies alone. She's the only one that dies screaming. Yep. She She's is. the only one that fights it. Yeah. And here's an interesting thing. Okay. So the way this played out the first time, I, it was interesting to me. First of all, I love just the Annie and Ed, the way they're holding on to each other while they're singing mm-hmm. is just, ugh, it's so powerful. Yeah, they're looking at each other the whole time. Yeah. They're just sort of yeah. r- swaying back and forth. And, but then the whole island sort of joins in with them. Uh, then you have... Um, Hassan and Ali praying together as the sun is rising. You have Millie, John, and Sarah, who has died, out the bridge by the marsh where Sarah used to love to go. And so all these things are sort of happening at once. Bev is near, is not far from from Hassan's, from the Hassan's on the on beach. The beach. Yeah. And she has this moment where she's watching the, the glow of the sun. Right. And she has this look and it's almost like, is she, is it a look of realization? I don't think it is. But at first I was like, that is what it is like. Oh my gosh. Uh, Maybe. And then she just. What realization? Like, like that, that maybe she was wrong. Uh, And and she just has a look on her. I don't know about that. She has a look on her face that, that maybe, maybe it's time for me to repent. She falls to her knees and I thought, oh. And then she starts digging, you know, and I'm like, oh, she's like a rat trying to escape. She's yep. she's trying to dig a hole for herself into the ground. It's just like because she even at that moment can admit it, cannot admit it. And and she's doing that thing that Annie was talking about. I also see this as a little bit of Bev. I don't know if it like abandoning her faith, but not really thinking about it in the moment. She's doing the thing that Annie was talking about fighting and clawing for Mm -hmm. those last few minutes. When, if you believe in heaven, you should 
accept that's where you're going to go and it's going to be fine. Like everybody else does. Well, Bev is the only one that's really fighting for she it. She seems to think. I don't know if that's wrong. She seems to but. think that this new covenant is heaven, though. She okay. seems to think that, oh, we, we have experienced the resurrection. This is, this is the way it's going to be for all eternity. Ironically, you know, when it talks about the resurrection in the Bible and eternity, there's, a, there's light involved, not darkness. You know, so it's, it's things that she just is ignoring these sort of the big points, you know, and, and for these little things that are this, just the lack of understanding of the whole picture you know is is very uh uh, common i was gonna say entertaining it's common i'm sorry to say (laughs) it's far too common i i think that moment where where, but you know this so you have uker and you have howard and you have the the organist and you see the various people and they're singing and you know then you have lisa and warren out in the boat two things happen with john he pulls the collar collar from his neck and I, you, I think you can take that in multiple ways. That's like a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> like, is he thinking he's not worthy of wearing that collar any longer? I think so. Um, I don't know that he's abandoning belief because, I mean, Millie's by his side. But uh, there's, it also sort of helped. But what's his last line? Forgive me. Forgive me. Yeah. So I think he, I think it's that, yeah, he doesn't feel like he's worthy because it's like... Mm-hmm. He's so um, into his own selfish reasons for doing all this to begin with. That's not until after the massacre, after he sees, you know, like what he's created with these, all these vampires that he's like, oh shit, actually, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Right. (laughs) You know, he (laughs) should have gotten that before. He recognizes his own lack of understanding and, and even he, the learned spiritual leader of this island was able was could be deceived you know yeah but well, that's it's the not thing until, about like, repentance that's though. the only time he's that's the only time he says it though is when he go, when he says we were wrong i was wrong to do this yeah. is at the very end so i i think that's what it's about that he doesn't yeah i think maybe it's a little bit of both like um he doesn't feel like he's worthy of it and he's abandoning it to because now that he's with Sarah and mm-hmm. Millie in this moment that he's gonna and he said he would have him. taken the collar and and if if she had come to him he would have taken off the collar and gone with her anywhere you yeah know, like it, it's scene. him living out the kind of life that they could have had if they could have been together to begin with in those last moments yeah in those last moments so maybe it's a little bit of both yeah I mean it's I find it to be a sort of fascinating moment that is open to multiple interpretations I think mm-hmm. and I kind of thought of more on the third time watching it you know just more kinds of ways that it that i felt about it but ultimately you know repentance is one of those things that you know scripturally it's like it it doesn't matter when it happens it matters that it happens you know so like when we were when i said i'm feeling a little bit of empathy for sturge you know like when he turns at the and you know he asks Uker to forgive him and you're like well he didn't do it soon enough i'm like and i'm like well true but he still did you know and he he owns his mistakes he owns that he has done all this horrible stuff even in the last two minutes that he has to live yeah you know and that that's one of the, that's sort of a biblical principle in itself. The workers that come at various times during the day, but all get the same wage, you know, and the people who came at the beginning of the day are 
like Bev Keens and they're really pissed off that the Riley Flynn's got the same coin they did, you know? (laughs) So that's almost an illustration of that parable in, in this film, you know? But that's also just, you can also look at it as like, okay, you feel bad about yourself for hurting somebody. You still hurt somebody. That's right. But (laughs) you can't change that. That's right. There's still, there's still personal responsibility. There's a difference between repentance and making it right. I mean, there, the repentance is kind of the first step in that, (laughs) in that restoration process. But unfortunately, they only have two minutes to live. So (laughs) there's only so so much they can do. But I think they do it to the best of their ability. And that's kind of the key thing in this last scene to me. And the fact that, you know, when they are singing, the last word is silence because they they burn. It's really powerful. Really, really powerful done powerfully done the effects are cool too. yeah they are <laughs> uh, the makeup on the on the angel is incredible the effects when they burn up yeah it's like Ooh. yeah and you're right bev is the only one that's screaming when she when she burns she's like fighting against it even as she is igniting it mm-hmm. i love that they, i like that they don't show anyone else burst into flame it's really only her yeah i mean Close up. Close up. Everyone else, you kind of see at a distance. The two that, um, when they show Riley, it's kind of from the, it's from the side. Mm -hmm. I'm glad they didn't do it, like, where you can see his face when he burns up, because that would have been too much. Well, it's (laughs) mostly because it's Aaron experiencing it. Oh, but you know, another part of that scene that's, that just kind of gets to me is the way she just kind of like pushes his ashes off of the seat so she can sit there and row back. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, there's that just kind of kills me. There's so much. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, we've already talked for four and a half hours. There's, there's a big thing that we didn't talk about, though, was the Jonestown scene. Yeah, yeah, that is, uh, you know, I learned about the Jonestown massacre when I was in seventh grade, and it's something that has always sort of frightened and fascinated me. Mm-hmm. And I had heard some of those audio tapes before in different things. So when I heard them, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I have heard this and it's chilling. It's chilling. Yeah. It's That thing I sent you, did you listen to just the first part or all three of them? No, I listened to all three episodes. Yeah. The last one? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite, um, for everybody listening, my favorite true crime podcast, Case File, did a three-part thing on Jonestown that's very in-depth, but also includes, yeah, some actual audio from the that last day. Yeah. Of Jim Jones uh, yeah, speaking. His final speech. Is, yeah. But um, I don't know when I heard about Jonestown, but that kind of, yeah, that kind of thing has always fascinated me too. But I started thinking about it a lot differently when it was only recently really that I heard people saying not to call it uh, a mass suicide, to call mm-hmm. it a mass murder. Yeah. Because that's what it really was. Yeah, I agree. Because when you think of, when you think about it as a mass suicide, it's the, it, that brings up a lot different things than what it actually was, which was a mass murder because of the control that this guy had over these people that, yes, they drank the Kool-Aid, but uh, a lot of them were forced to not all of them did. Some of them were forced to Um, some of them were shot, shot, Mm -hmm. killed in other ways. No, it wasn't a hundred percent their choice. And that's when you can see it even more (laughs) as even 
even more evil thing when you when I thought about it that way. Absolutely. And then watching similar stuff like another like the the movie The Sacrament, yeah. um, which is another obvious reference to the whole movie is a thing about Jonestown. But then in this scene too, I mean, as soon as. I saw those cups. Yeah. You know, there's a shot of Bev going into the room and you can see all the cups and, and the rat poison. I was like, oh, God yeah. damn it. I was like, you're going to do a Jonestown thing and I'm not going to be able to handle this because I can't with this kind of stuff. And it's just all those those little moments when people, um, Ali's the first one to drink. Yeah. Which is heartbreaking to watch um, Hassan like screaming at him and him, Ali's still saying, I choose God instead of I'm like. I'm sorry. God would not ask you to do that. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but as soon as one person does it, that's when other people think that it's okay. And just like all those shots when you're supposed to be like kind of focusing on Aaron and uh, Sarah and Millie, they're kind of watching everybody in horror, like saying, don't take that. But if you, if you watch the people in the background, the people that just immediately take a drink, like before they can stop them, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's so hard to watch or those people that do it without even think that people that do it without even really thinking the little the shot of the little kid taking Mm -hmm. a drink and his the parents you know trying to stop him that's horrifying stuff to watch you know especially knowing that something like that has actually happened in real life absolutely you know and i think what i find really interesting is in that scene as Pruitt is preaching mm-hmm. Annie and Ed just get more and more concerned their look on their faces mm-hmm. are just like this isn't right yeah there's something what's no you know and and so they are they're not uh, Ed doesn't drink he is attacked that's why he he's killed yeah. by one of the people who resurrects you know yeah he gets yeah left behind that's so sad it's so sad because they get separated Mm. there oh gosh yeah is this is is this the one where because this is my other thing with uh (laughs) sometimes with what i hear in these in all these different sermons is just they're so contradictory it's like uh doesn't he say something in this one about uh like god will ask you to do horrible things right something like like that really yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) i know i know And, and and again it's just like well, I honestly think, you know, if he's hearing the voice of the angel, I honestly think perhaps this angel, you know, I don't, we don't know anything about it. We don't know when it existed. We don't even hear it talk. We don't hear it talk. I mean, there is an implication that, you know, this could be, in fact, a demon, you know, that, or something of that nature. There's, there's, I think, a, a quality to that possibility. And so if he's hearing the voice of God, uh, the angel, I mean, the angel is telling him these things to say that are essentially because it, the angel, hates God. That just occurred to yeah. me. I don't know if that's correct or not, but it's just <laughs> something that it's it's one of so many again. I mean, there's, there's so many questions this raises, not yeah. and just provokes ideas and thoughts. And I think that is what makes it so terrific. But yeah, the those sermons, the 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 Good Friday and other yeah, and the, other the sermon. army sermon and this, mm-hmm. it's like that doesn't sound like something that the not the Pruitt that we met at the beginning no. of the series believes. No, he's completely changed. Yeah, you know, uh, over the 
course of all this. And I part of it, you know, he says the voice of the angel, but also I think the voice of Bev, because he talks about mm. how Bev had told Bev told me this scripture. Bev said this or that, you know, it's Bev's yeah. idea to, you know, share the miracle and all this. So he's he's very persuadable by her. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know if I really have a lot more I wanted to cover. Oh, I'm sure we'll go back and remember all these other things that we wanted to say because there's a Part lot of it, there's here. A, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more <laughs> going on than we can cover entirely, I think. So mm-hmm. I found that to be true when I sat down to write an article of this. I had to change my tactics and ideas and just admit that I couldn't cover everything I wanted to cover. Right. <laughs> So are we going to have to do that too? <laughs> yeah, <Damn> maybe, <laughs> maybe though. I This do isn't going to think... be the definitive podcast on midnight mass. <laughs> right. I think a good way to end might be though, is to answer JD's other question. Ah, what's that? Uh, his other question was, Oh, two things. First of all, do you think Flanagan is making a positive or negative commentary on religion slash Catholicism? Yes. Yes. Pretty much. Yeah, um, both. Uh, there's it, both and um, I think that he is saying there are wonderful things and wonderful people involved. And then there are some others that not so much. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. There are people that do it right. The ones that you should aspire to be like, like mm-hmm. Annie. Yep. And there are ones that take it too far, take it the wrong way. And unfortunately are the loudest ones and can bring other people uh, underneath them and just spread more hate than love, which is the opposite of what they should be wanting to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is, uh, I mean, I know that's a non-answer, but it's an answer and it's the only one I think there is. I think that's what he's doing with like every aspect of pretty much everything that he brings up in this series. Every question that he asks doesn't really have a, has several answers because- Everybody has a different perspective, obviously, like if you're looking at the believer and non-believer perspective, or even within those people have different, there's no one answer for anybody. It's what you think. And I think ultimately that's one of the things that makes this great is it's kind of fair to all sides on it Mm -hmm. and says, you know, here's, here's the arguments for, here's the arguments against, let's have a conversation you know that's what it comes down to conversations and uh discussions because you know i think there are some of these things that are deep matters that have beat at the heart of humanity since the beginning of is this all there is (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. is there and if there's (laughs) not what is beyond it those are the deep questions nobody can know you can only come up with an answer that you can live with and that gives you comfort while you're here you know with your time on earth yep okay so the other question he had is a little more fun where does midnight mass rank among flanagan's tv shows for you because so far we've got three right we've got midnight mass of course we have the haunting of hill house and the haunting of bly bly manor you first me first okay so um i have to go on record to say that I quite love all three of them. I think all of them have gotten at least four stars from me, if not five from Letterboxd. Uh, so between four and five, four, four and a half, five. So um, my initial ranking would have been Hill House, Bly, Midnight Mass, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. 
but my uh, after watching it three times, after having really digested, having gone really deep, this one has moved up to number one for me. So Midnight Mass is number one, followed by Hill House, followed by Bly Manor for me. All right. My favorite thing that Flanagan has ever done is still going to be Gerald's Game, but I do yeah. absolutely love all three of these. What did you guess was my number one? My guess was Bly. You're right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think my ranking would be um, Bly Manor, Hill House, and then Midnight Mass. So we're perfectly opposite of each other on that <laughs> right. ranking. That's interesting. <laughs> because, I mean, Bly, I, I think mostly for uh, the, the queer aspect, I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. And I loved that story. Hill House, that's just so beautiful (laughs) yeah stuff about family plus like just haunting shit in particular is kind of my favorite thing (laughs) so i'm more drawn to that kind of stuff and i love the characters and that the the relationships uh, with the family and that and and i love midnight mass too obviously there's uh, i love a lot about the characters and what it has to say is i kind of connect probably a little bit more with bly the most out of all of those so yeah yeah, and I th- I think that's where it comes to is that you know what do you connect with the most from your own experience you know and I mm-hmm. I and and that's why you know for me Midnight Mass probably makes sense yeah you know? I wasn't sure I wasn't sure what you were gonna say <laughs> oh okay yeah <laughs> I, I I wasn't entirely sure what you were gonna say either so there we go we don't know each other as well as we thought we did oh Weird. my gosh no you had... no you guessed my number one. So. What did you think mine was going to be? I thought the Hill House would be your favorite. Okay. I I I love Hill House. I love Bly Manor I too though. I mean, for for me the the one thing about Bly Manor is I really really fell in love with the innocence uh the which is the turn of the screw story. The turn of the screw, um, yeah. Yeah, I I really fell in love with that movie sort of before I saw Bly Manor cuz I watched I I wrote a column piece on the innocence to kind of go with the release of Bly Manor. And I was like this movie and this story, something, it just really was like, this is, I think, I think it will for kind of forever be compared to that for me because that's, that's why, you know, it's just because I've seen the innocence and I really liked it, but I saw it as something totally different. And they are. They're they totally are. Different. And I and I get that. And I totally understand that. But and also, I mean, some of the British accents really kind of drove me nuts. But <laughs> sorry to say, but all in all, I was I like all three very much yeah. is the thing. Right. You know, there's none of them are particularly lesser for me. Um, and I that last moment in Bly just guts me. It, it's just incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, did we? I, we didn't really talk about if we were going to do recommendations on this one. Oh, I have nothing, so I hope not. <laughs> okay, let's skip recommendations for this week. <laughs> I think they've heard enough of our voices. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Are we done then? We do need to give a little plug for what we're going to talk about next time, though. Which we've already kind of said. We if have. Listening. Yeah, if you have been listening, you will know that the next episode that we are discussing is another uh, Flanagan film. Uh, We're planning on hitting quite a few of his pieces uh, in the next few uh, couple months here. So, well, three, really. (laughs) Or did this one, Dr. Sleep and something else. But um, we... I just gave it away, didn't I? You just gave it away. I just gave it away. (laughs) So we're hitting uh, this one, and then next week, 
or next time or whenever this ends up dropping because we're going to release it in parts, I'm sure. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the 2019 film, Dr. Sleep, and we're going to discuss the director's cut of it. Yes. And that's the only one we're going to cover in the episode uh, because partially because of its length and just it's one of our sort of single movie gushes, I think, is yeah. what we're calling that. <laughs> or it's something that we both love that we just really just want to give all of our attention to for that episode. Yeah. But yeah. Wow. This has been <laughs> epic. Been epic. Epic is the word. Epic is the word. Where are we at? Oh, five hours almost. Almost Holy five hours. Holy monkey. Okay. Uh, so we hope you have enjoyed our two or three parts of discussing uh, Midnight Mass. Um, I mean, I hope we did okay. <laughs> we knew I this was going to be a, a long discussion. <laughs> we knew that this was going to cover all sorts of things. And, you know, there are some things that are that this deals with that are very hard to articulate and very hard yeah. to sort of dig into uh, with words, which is why Mike Flanagan did it with art. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, or where he actually had time to think about what he was going to write and have the people say, whereas word is on here. Like, I think that I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I hope that it came across in some way though. I just feel like I flubbed a lot because this isn't particularly my area uh, well it's the first time i've first time a, i've ever really talked about this stuff with yeah. anybody else to be honest so well it supposedly is mine and i was blah 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 blah, blah a lot oh, so no, i was uh, <laughs> there are plenty of things that i hope you cut out of the final cut um so anyway <laughs> i'm uh, not cutting anything i'll just leave it exactly as it exactly is. as it is now okay so real quick our sign off here yeah you can find me on twitter at brian d kuiper if you'd like to uh join me there and you can find me at michelle n Aiken. the show is at movie life pod and we hope that you come and join us there and uh we give away some stuff sometimes um also yeah. give us a rate and review you know what to do with that hope that you will we've gotten a couple and uh glad to see those they are always very helpful and very encouraging to us so thank you and yes thank you very much okay so what are we gonna do brian we'll see you next time bye bye <laughs>